0: Oh, okay, this is bad, this is bad man. We gotta get the floor. Three in the morning, you really want to wake the floor. No, Of course not. I don't know, maybe maybe we can handle this ourselves. And maybe huh? Horace blows himself up and the floor kills us for not waking him. We gotta go now.
1: You want to knock? <clears throat> you knock. Fine.
0: What, <clears throat> Mr. Lafleur? Sorry to bother you, but we got a situation out at the pylons.
1: What kind of situation?
2: Uh, it's uh, Horace. He's got dynamite, and he's blowing
1: up trees.
3: Have to go back down the hatch. It's the Lost Rewatch Podcast here on post show recaps, talking season five, episode eight, Lafleur. I'm Josh Wiggler, and I'm joined here by Lafleur. I mean Mike Bloom.
0: I'm so glad you said Lafleur like that, Josh, because I actually, for the first time in DTH history, I do have an alternate intro clip that I did not use. Would you like to hear it? Would you like to take a look at the uh, the flash <laughs> sideways of DTH right now?
3: I am. Filled with anticipation. The anticipation, Mike.
0: Ah, yes. For those that have checked out uh, Smackdown the Hatch, a.k.a. our appearance on the Wrestling Rehap Up this past week. You understand that reference.
3: Of course. Um, All right. Yes, I am very excited to hear the alternate int- introduction. Give it a go. The floor. Okay. <laughs> highly, highly specific comedy is our jam. Wow. Well, that was utterly incredible. And if that is not our outro this week, I'm going to be
0: pissed. Oh, no, I already got it in there. Don't oh, you worry me. We can my. we can assume that in this universe, the one saying K is Richard Albert, oh, right? Oh, my
3: God, Mike. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it fit in so well when i was like let me l- I listen back to it. that's pulled from the Horace conversation which we'll listen to but the way he said LaFleur like sounded on that similar way like he was invoking that young person's tribe on the mats of survivor nicaragua mm-hmm. uh, years in the future <laughs> years and years and years i just felt that synergy josh i'm glad you did and it I- someone had to i'm
3: glad it was you uh, it's a good thing mike is responsible for the sounds this week because i would not have thought to do it um absolutely genius mike here we are, LaFleur, uh, the James Sawyer Ford episode. Uh, we are finally finding out what happened to our time-displaced heroes. They are stuck in the 1970s, but stuck may be the wrong way to describe it based on the lovely lives many of them have built together, specifically... Sawyer and Juliet, this is the real start of that storyline, although I think, as we've noticed, like they definitely start building towards that uh, earlier in the, mm-hmm. in the season. Um, but this is a really beloved episode of, of Lost. Uh, I really loved going back and watching it when I did the nuclear option, but also going back and rewatching it this week for the episode. It's just, it's a beautiful episode. It's such great growth for, uh, for all of these characters, but very specifically Sawyer. Um, I loved it. I'm really excited to get
0: into this one, Mike. So am I. It is such—again, I talked about this at the end of last week, and not to say that this episode is not without darkness. Hell, someone gets gunned down in the middle of a romantic picnic, it seems, but I would say I think comparatively to The the Life and Death of Jeremy Bentham, this is much more lighter— fair, I would say. And it's such a substantial direction for the season to take. One thing I want to talk about over the course of this episode is obviously in the nuclear option, you have, because you left through this place's death, and you have been saying the past couple of weeks, like, take or leave, whether or not you start with 316 or LaFleur, those episodes are pretty much interchangeable. I'm still trying to figure out sort of like, which one works better? Because LaFleur, you know, 316 and LaFleur both do this, but I feel like LaFleur specifically really sets up where we're going for the rest of the season. I think it is not coincidental that this officially marks after this episode the halfway point of season five in terms of episode count. Because I think it's really setting up, A, the time traveling's done. We're basically, you know, we're going to jump a little bit into 2007, but for the most part, a lot of the crux of the important stuff is going to be happening in the 70s. And it's also setting up the sort of, like, new normal of Lost for the rest of season five. It's also an incredibly unique episode. We talk about all these different ways of storytelling in the past few episodes, but this is one of the only episodes I can think of where, like, you know, is this a flashback or a flash forward? It's incredibly evenly split between 1974 and 1977 just due to its storytelling virtues that it just it stands out on its own. For so many reasons, it is my favorite episode of season five so far for so many reasons. We've talked also not only hints of a Sawyer Juliet romance, but of Sawyer taking these steps towards who he's going to become. This is that leap. You know, as much as he's been taking little pitter patter steps, he's going to take a big old jump into that pool right now in the position he's found himself in, in the absence of Locke, creating this big lie for everybody. This is Sawyer becoming the character that we love so much for the last season and a half of the series. And so it's a really pivotal episode for all those reasons and so much more. Yeah, it's
3: lovely. Um, I do love having it earlier in the season when you do, like, the the reordering of stuff. Um, but it is just, like, it is this kind of... It's odd cause time travel's a component, but it kind of has, like, this timeless feel, right? Like, this is, like... LaFleur just, like, kind of, like, feels like a classic episode of Lost. I think that, like, LaFleur is something of an equalizer, Mike. Um, when, like, people talk about Lost as, like, the, you know, like, it, it starts to lose its way in season three or whatever. But, like, you know, there are some of, like, the great episodes do come in the second half of the show, in book two of Lost, as it were. Uh, like, the constant everyone talks about is the best yep. episode of Lost. Abaterno. Yeah. And then I think, like, LaFleur is probably that for season because I think the thing that it yeah. has in common, these episodes have in common, are they are like love stories, uh, and Lafleur is is that in many ways it's about like. Um Sawyer growing up and not being a kid anymore and like Juliet coming to peace with that like maybe being on the island isn't so bad under the right circumstances um, so there is sort of like this like star-crossed connection thing that's happening across floor, while also having sort of like this high-octane storyline underneath it of like we need to infiltrate, we need to go undercover, like we need to like acclimate otherwise we're dead um, Sawyer just like putting his con man skills to good use like uh mm-hmm. like trying to like get everybody saved and protected and taken care of um it's just it's just great. Uh and it's uh it, it it is it is easily one of the best episodes of season 5 and I think that there is like a strong argument that this is one of the elite episodes of Lost for sure.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh we won't get too much into the ratings, but I think when we took a, a take a look at it We'll probably do this at the end of season five, but I would not be surprised if LaFleur slots in at least top ten, maybe Eakin, into top five, baby. Um, I don't remember the numbers off the bat. I, I don't know. I think we have to look at the numbers again, and obviously it's a variable, not a constant. But I do think that the number I'm staring at right now feels relatively high compared to a lot of those top tier episodes. So I would not be surprised if this was, you know, I think this is definitely going to be top three for season five. Wouldn't be completely surprised if it was the top episode of season five and wouldn't be completely, completely surprised if it ends up making at least the top 10 lost episodes overall when we throw it into the big, you know, episode list at the end of the season.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's certainly going to be uh it will it will for sure be top five of season five. I think top three is likely and it could be number one Uh just in terms of like the actual rankings, whether or not that's how I feel. Maybe not, but right. that's because I'm real high on season five. Love, <laughs> yeah. You're five. just uh, you're,
0: you're. Did you eat those brownies that were at the mm-hmm. security station? That's is right. that how high you are? I
3: did, Mike. Are you are you loving season five? How are you feeling?
0: I'm having a lot of fun with season five. It, there's still some things that I'm like still trying to wrap my head around because we are in this sort of transitory period. You know, you, that's why I think you go to the nuclear option is because this middle few episodes of lost, and we're gonna transition out of it pretty immediately. I think three one six, Jeremy Bentham, and Lafleur. Are sort of encapsulating that high octane Rashomon style that we saw at the beginning of season two. Uh, yeah, beginning of season two, where it's like, all right, we'll talk about what happened with the Oceanic Six. We're talking about what happened with Locke, and now we're talking about what happened with Sawyer's group, aka the people that were left over on the island. It does feel like three separate storylines, but I appreciate this middle section taking the time to focus on all of them individually because we really had everything combined here for the first 5 episodes of the season. It's an odd transition compared to the first 5 episodes, but I got to say if this is supposed to be kind of like the uh the odd middle of this sandwich as we transition to what's going to become like more solid from a structural perspective of Namaste on, I've really been enjoying it. And uh you know, that's that's going to continue here with the floor where we get introduced fully to, like, Dharma life in the 70s. You know, this is going to be a huge season that unwraps some of the mythos surviving the Dharma Initiative, um, of which we know relatively little. Really, it's stuff through the hatches and the man behind the curtain when Ben first moved to the island where we know some stuff about them. But now we're actually going to get to know... People for better and for mostly worse, because a lot of the Dharma folks are jerks and a holes. But I'm excited to get to know these jerks and a holes a little more personally mm-hmm. over the course of the next several weeks.
3: Um, all right. So uh, before we go in, of course, Down the Hatch uh, is uh, always open to feedback from the Hatchlings. We love that stuff. You send it in down the Hatch at postshowrecaps.com. I want to give uh, a quick um, program advisory. Uh, to to let everybody know that. So next week, Namaste is coming out. Uh, I don't know why Namaste. I'm so bad yeah, can, at speaking. Yeah, can I ask
0: about that? I was unsure as to whether this was some sort of, this was a, a coming out or if this was an inside joke or if this is just your own Tabula Rasa. Yeah, yeah I think For it's, some reason, tabu- I can't it's my own it Tabula
3: correctly. Rasa. I can't pronounce it right. Namaste. I always go Namaste or some other terrible way of pronouncing it. Uh, but Namaste. We are going to be releasing that podcast next week. We're recording that podcast next week. He's our follows namaste uh, that comes the week after we release that podcast but because i'm getting out of town here pretty soon we are going to do a mini version of when mike and i do like the binge recordings so <laughs> namaste and he's are you are recording very close to the exact same time so if you've got feedback for he's are you in addition to namaste now is the time to send that in. Otherwise, it's going to be a light feedback episode, which is totally fine. That happens. You know, we'll always be able to catch it back up. We'll
0: we'll be recuperating from the July 4th holiday. You know, we'll be full of plenty of rabbit and boar and all that jazz. So that's totally fine. But yeah, we're going to, if you're listening to this on the regular, poster recaps feed, no change to your schedule whatsoever. You're still going to keep getting episodes on Fridays. It's just for the sake of our own recording. We're going to be going doing those two back to back. And then when it gets to you know, uh, like the Week of the nineteenth the of July. We'll get back into the swing of things, yeah. but that's just a heads up for you all. So
3: send that feedback in down the hatch at PoShowRecaps.com. I also it is I'm literally contractually obligated to tell you that it is the start of a new month. And at the start of a new month, this is where we really like to remind you that post show recaps is on Patreon. We've got the Patreon program. For post show recaps at patreon.com slash post show recaps where you can sign up at that podcast feed level and get episodes of Down the Hatch two days early is when we release those. Um, Plenty of other incredible exclusive bonus podcasts just for the patrons of Post Show Recaps. Uh, And in addition to that, Mike, there's the Post Show Recaps patron discord, which you get access to at that $10 level. It's my favorite community on the internet. I'm rarely on Twitter these days, but I'm always on the discord. And if you want to hang out uh, with you, with me, uh, we're here. We're there. We're we're everywhere in the Discord. <laughs> we
0: love... Th- yeah, quoting so many 70s songs we, to get us into the occasion, I we, suppose.
3: We love uh, the, the patrons of Post Show Recaps and, and hanging out in the Discord. So if that sounds fun to you, now is the perfect time to do it. The start of the month is always a great time. Patreon charges you as soon as you sign up, so you really get uh, a lot of bang for your buck if you sign up at the start of the month. Uh, it would just mean the world to us, your support, uh, showing us that you're, uh, you're, you're, you're throwing in with your favorite podcast out there. It's
0: got to be us.
3: You're this far yeah, along me- the journey with us. It's got to be us.
0: Consider this the equivalent of you presenting us with a pretty yellow flower. Uh and Josh and mm-hmm. I are making you like a very well-earned salad and pasta dish. Uh and being just so happily surprised that you came to us here from your hard work days in the beginning of July to become a patron of Post Show Recaps. We are incredibly appreciative of that. I also want to say up top as well, speaking of appreciation, uh I am so happy. And so relieved, I think, by the feedback from last week. Uh, I will admit, Josh, you know this as well. Uh, you know, you and I have been doing this for nearly a decade, uh, not the lost podcast. So it certainly Just felt like that sometimes. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I, but I think that last week was a little bit different for me personally. I can say without a doubt, it is the most personal and I guess I would argue vulnerable that I had gotten. On a microphone talking about my own de- battle with anxiety and depression and suicide in line with what we talked about with Jeremy Bentham. Uh, I received so many kind words over the past week about that. And it just shows that, you know, it can be a scary thing to open up your heart and open up your mind, much like we see with, you know, someone like Sawyer or someone like Juliet do. But when you do, you allow a lot of love to enter those crevices. And so I, I just want to thank all the hatchlings again. Uh, I, I love you all and you all are a fantastic group of listeners on this wild ride with us. And I just want to thank you all again for the kind words after that podcast. It really did mean a lot.
3: Completely agreed. I, I saw a lot of that flood in and it was, it was really, really, Really heartwarming to to see in some conversations. I know, like you and I have had with people too. Uh, it's just been it's been it's been really uh, it's just a great reminder of the of of the crowd here that we're working with on on down the hatch. So we love you guys, Mike. You're ridiculously brave and wonderful and incredible, and uh, I'm so happy to do this show with you. <laughs>
0: you could you could have just stopped with ridiculous. I could I could have
3: I could have, but I went on uh, and uh, yeah. There's no one in the world that I'd rather be on this journey with than you. Uh, I-
0: Absolutely same, Freckles. Um, no, no, no. You're Blondie. Yeah. You'll be Blondie call me, here. Call, we moved on from Flack. I don't even recognize. Remember your face call anymore. Call
3: me Blondie. Call me Blondie is what I want you to call me. Um All right, Mike. Let's get into it. Let's go forth into the jungle and talk about La Fleur. Uh, marching in with La Fleur, uh, written by Elizabeth Sarnoff and Kyle Pennington, directed by Mark Goldman uh who has an interesting history with lost yes
0: yeah, so if you've never heard that name before when we talked about this it's understandable mark goldman up to this point was an editor longtime editor of the show i think he was nominated for his work on through the looking glass i believe but he was with the show since the beginning and lost provided him the opportunity to step behind the camera And he did so with this episode. I think this is the only episode of Lost he ends up directing. But yeah, Mark Goldman, not not an outside hire. He was an in-house sort of like promotion for this one episode. So again, if we're talking about uh, people changing roles in Lost, that was happening behind the scenes as well.
3: That's pretty cool. All right. So we're going to talk about this Sawyer-centric episode of Lost. It aired on March 4th, 2009, uh, dangerously close to my birthday uh <laughs> eric divestine
0: they were yeah, they were drilling close, close into that eric. that electromagnetic patch Getting that is close eric
3: i hope you remembered my birthday march 11th 2009 for next week when we get to
0: namaste <laughs> the namaste it's like oh why did you not wish me a happy birthday back in 2009 you're capable of time travel mm-hmm. are you not oh you know what i think uh it's possible
3: that uh did lost uh skip my birthday uh, in 2009. Oh, that
0: would have been a real middle yeah, think, finger to you, wouldn't it? Have? I
3: think so. I think they did. Uh, I think uh, lost... Uh, uh, yeah,
0: you're right. No, what, the next uh, Namaste was on March 18th.
3: Yeah, unbelievable. Uh, I think Eric time-traveled and had something to do with that. Um,
0: <laughs> yeah, He actually he actually decided to, much like uh, Sawyer, work his way into a position as head of programming at ABC. Um, <laughs> <It's> like <laughs> we, we can't air it
3: on this day. Unbelievable. Alright, Mike, you have the recap this week. Normally it's <gasps> me, but you've got the recap notes because I was was an idiot and when i was doing the nuclear option i didn't write it out i was just like watching it for fun and then i started getting in it was like i think i'm probably going to do all of the recap notes today uh and i did do all of them except for lafleur and i was like mike can you go and do lafleur would you mind uh, well i
0: think uh I mean, listen if your excuse is that you had too much of a good time with lafleur i think that's absolutely fine i had a blast look, I, with lafleur i, I caught my way into it uh i was able to you know sa- i'm on a salvage vessel and i saddled up salvaged up a recap here for you uh But we're going to start in a familiar place here because we pick things up basically right from where we left this group in this place's death, right? Complete with miles. I think you can let that get let go of that now with Sawyer pulling the rope out of the ground. I forget if we talked about this on this place's death, but we're going to see in a little bit that some rocks have been assembled around the rope. Josh, are we led to believe that Sawyer created the well by holding onto that rope that Mm. was coming out of the ground. Wow, I've never considered that. How would that work? Well basically it's like, oh, this is a place of interest. There's a rope coming out of the ground. Whoa. Let's build some rocks around it. Let's dig a well down there.
3: Whoa, you are blowing my mind right now. Yeah, absolutely. X marks the spot. So like just like adding more to like the destiny driven qualities of the oceanic eight ers fivers being here on the island and faded to always being here. Yeah, they probably like marked this place. Uh,
0: yeah, it's 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 weird to think of, right? And I think it's a great, I mean, sign. Up. Across the sea takes place before this
3: moment, as per chronologically lost. Which, by the way, I've watched the first episode of. As have some of the patrons of post show recaps. We're flirting with some ideas over here on down the hatch. If that's another mm. uh, little bit of incentive to maybe sign up for the Patreon, getting early access to some of the uh, the idea lab stuff that we're <laughs> that we're doing. We're in early. We're in. Uh, we're in uh, early development right now and some interesting ideas um so in across the sea like they're already dealing with some loose ideas surrounding like
0: the the wheel the the water
3: the light yeah so like they're definitely like already like um you know the man in black before he becomes the smoke monster is hooked in on that stuff like he shows that to mother uh so this wouldn't necessarily be like the invention of that idea but at the very least It is like signaling the location where, like, you know, some of the most absolute prominent um, electromagnetic activity uh, and time travel related activity occurs. So yeah, Mike, I think that's brilliant. I love that. I think that's genius. Thank you. Great job. Yeah. Well,
0: I think I think it, I think it goes back to this really fun thematic idea that we're going to experience as soon as like next week, right? And he's our you of okay. You're trying to prevent something, but then ironically enough, you cause the thing that you were trying to prevent. Well, like, we'll talk about that obviously with Baby Ben Linus and what Saeed ends up incidentally causing. I'm not going to say that's a direct cause and effect here, but I do think it just happens to be that you know if because Sawyer was holding onto that rope and the rope went with them I would imagine that whoever came to this island was like oh that's interesting yeah, yeah there's a rope sticking out of the ground I think we should look into that. that let's dig as, d- as deep as we can and then it's going to connect back to the very well that Sawyer's going to be holding on to in the future
3: um, so the other thing that we see here is like as Sawyer's like trying to dig around for lock uh, Miles points out that like we've been like we're, we're really far back and you can tell because the full four toed statue is here and this is the first time yeah. we've ever seen like the full thing
0: Yeah, we get, like, the nice butt shot of the Tawaret statue. I never knew how to pronounce that, let alone Namaste. I don't know how to pronounce Tawaret or Tawaret or uh, what have you. But, yeah, it's going to be a big hint to something that doesn't really come up, right? We're going to get sort of, like, the origin of its destruction in Abaterno. But I can't really think of Sans That Chamber too much around the statue in particular. I think it's just a hint to people as to okay, you know, at this point this was a fully formed statue, and then something happened to cause everything besides its, its foot to come off. Yeah. I,
3: I have talked before about how uh, my personal pet theory is after Hurley becomes king of the island, that he and like his new like entourage is like, why don't we time travel more often? And they're like, well, it's kind of dangerous. I'm gonna do it. Don't spin the thing. I'm spinning it. And then he spins the frozen donkey wheel and they travel <laughs> back in time. He's like, oops, what did we do? Where's the statue? It's not here. What statue are you talking about? Oh, the four-toed statue. I don't know what show. Oh, we built it. What are you talking about? Yeah, we built. it's not here yet, so we build the statue. Uh, so that has always been, and I know a lot of people are like totally fine with the show's answer of the statue. I'm also totally fine, but I just love this in my little headcanon of time travel on Lost that early, and uh, his friends, after the events of Lost, go back in time, and they build a four-toed statue.
0: Yeah, because I think, again, it's it's something that wasn't really expounded upon. I think that's the whole across-the-sea-of-it-all, right, is, yes, there were people on this island, but we don't really know too much about them, because the man in black and Jacob and mother were exiles basically from that community. Uh, But, you know, between this and the Black Rock, I think it's a big hint towards past events on the island and what's going to become illuminated, especially in Season 6. You know, again, you can quibble with whether you want LaFleur or 316 next, but Josh, this first scene to me is a big indicator as to why Jeremy Bentham works so well after this episode. It felt a little weird to me, personally, after everything to, like, once again go back to Locke pushing the wheel right because now we're gonna get the can anybody help me yep. to him a montage of him pushing the wheel maybe it's just because we saw him go through so much it was a little jarring to me to, to like now go back again uh and then see those events even though they took like all of 10 seconds yeah
3: do we want to give uh, Locke a bonus mvp point this episode since now this is the last last opportunity we have until the sideways <sighs> stuff
0: Listen, I would, but, like, this is a big Sawyer and Juliet episode. We don't have, we we don't don't have, have a lot of room for it. Yeah,
3: totally agreed. All right. So we do get that montage, and then he pushes the wheel, and then, for the last time, for a very long time, the sky flashes white. Let's listen in sound number one. <sighs> <sighs>
1: What
2: was that that one was different that was, that was more like an earthquake Mark.
1: james wait great headache is gone
2: yeah mine is too and my nose isn't bleeding anymore
1: I think it's over I think John did it now what? Now we wait for him to come back. For how long? As long as it takes.
0: It takes three years. It takes
3: three years as per the title card that comes up and says three years later.
0: Yeah. What did you, what do you think about that mechanism? Cause I, I really like it here. I think it's like not even a punchline to a joke. This isn't like the I take that back, but I think like it's a pretty tragic p- punctuation point, right? Of, all right, we're going to keep staying here as long as it takes, cut to three years later. I think I take more issue of it that we keep showing three years earlier, three years later. Like we keep going with that title card throughout the episode. And I don't know if we need it. You know, that's what the flashback drums are for.
3: Yeah, I think so. But I think one thing that it does for the people who are having like a harder time keeping track of what the hell is going on with this timeline on Lost this season is we now know that the three years later is going to put their lives at roughly the same point in time as the oceanic six. So Mm -hmm. like, yeah, like, and I think like, how do you necessarily like elegantly accomplish that piece of it with just the flash, you know, the, the flashback or flash forward sound because you're, you know, you by jumping forward in time you're you're like still in the 70s you know what i mean like i think it does get a little bit complicated so i think like um certain people who are like really closely watching the show would have been able to be like totally fine to pick it up but i think it's helpful for the people who are um who are not able to um to track it or are not like interested in watching the show quite that closely so i ultimately don't mind it i see the point but i think it's it's probably helpful for uh, for the normies as it were
0: I think it's fine to use it a couple of times. I think they end up stopping it like halfway through the episode. Uh, our noses stop bleeding. I just thought it was interesting for them to use it constantly. At least, at least it's not the other 48 days where they actually use the right font. I mean, on that note, Josh, I should note something that this is from Lostpedia. So I think, you know, there may be quibbles with this. But according to Lostpedia, this is the end of an era. As we begin another one, this is, according to Lostpedia, the final episode of the series to feature a flash forward.
3: Um, wow. Is that right? Um, yeah. I mean, just like, who am I to, to I, I'm not going to challenge Lostpedia. They've had a lot of time to think about that. Uh, yeah, I don't know, stat, I, I guess,
0: I, I'm I sure there can be like people calling Umbridge to that. Like I could imagine they say, well, what about when they flash to the skeletons and across the sea? Does that count as a flash forward? I guess they define it as like flashing to a specific period of time with like a demarcated text at an actual scene that plays out I, and as a narrative device, I guess that's what they consider a flash forward.
3: Yeah. Um, OK, well, that that tracks. Um, but we do get this flash forward. But it's so weird because we're flashing forward to just like, you know, a little bit further into the future of the past, which is right. going to be our present by the way
0: so yeah so you you're heard, you, oh my god so many words I know. so you heard this in the opening right uh before this happens we go to a dharma security station where uh this guy danny i think is near jerry jerry right jerry because i believe that these two guys jerry and phil who is the worst i believe it seems like they're he's named the, after he's two i think members- the
3: second worst
0: yeah well let's yeah we're gonna uh, have a lot I of time to
3: talk this through
0: I believe they're named after two members of the Grateful Dead, though, because to the point that we made earlier, there is certainly some, uh, drug symbolism invoked here as Jerry is sort of like dancing with his, uh, his hoochie mama mm-hmm. to some Tony Orlando and Dawn. And Phil basically comes in as the big wet blanket, right? Breaking up this hoot nanny, as he'll call it. Uh, this is where Jerry is just sort of like, ah, eh, we work a nothing security job. What's going to happen? The polar bears are going to break out of our cages. We'll be long dead before that happens via genocide.
3: Yes, uh, they won't have to worry about the polar bears for long. Uh, that's the
0: that, that's the weird thing as well is something that, that we really need to wrap our heads around with this next. Again, we're going to be spending a lot of time with this people for the rest of the season. Josh, nearly all these characters that we are going to get to know die as a result of gassing from the others. Correct. We just we just have to remember that that these are all going to wind up in a big pile of bodies. Uh, you know, in the two thousands.
3: This is like one uh, part of like the the Sawyer and Juliet and everybody sticking around thing that like they do address in season five, like why don't you tell them like what's coming to them? And Sawyer's gonna be like Faraday says whatever happened happened, you know? Like so like that's like sort of his attitude about it. But like if they're happy with their lives here and like they're like more and more like comfortable with like the idea of like we're sticking around. Um and like also like the submarines like come and go, like maybe either A leave or B like maybe break the whatever happened happened thing. Just like to like throw it out there like if you guys ever thought about the fact that maybe like the gas canisters aren't such a great idea and someday... Yeah, yeah, yeah you, you
0: guys uh, remember <laughs> the Tempest at all? That ring a bell to you right now?
3: Yeah, so I don't know. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, yeah but Horace but just, is just, blowing it, it, stuff up and that's no good. Yeah.
0: So so as they're dancing to, you know, their their hippy-dippy music, they see Horace on cams uh, where it's basically like he's drunkenly stumbling around the sonic fence he likes to stick a dynamite like a cigar are we to assume is this this is not black right rock dynamite right um, is this like dharma homebred tnt i don't
3: know i mean i guess it's not impossible that he
0: just like pilfered the black rock but like you would think. No, though i but uh but remember that sawyer is gonna tell ask horse later like oh do you know the black rock and he says no yeah. So either he's lying or he just has no idea and he just got the dynamite from somewhere.
3: Yeah, you would think that the DI would uh, have some uh, dynamite on hand. Uh, So I'll, I'll choose to believe this is DI dynamite. Deinamite. I agree, I
0: think dynamite. Uh, de- I know might, because they. I mean, they're going to do a lot of drilling, right, and excavation work. I would imagine, to your point, that they have to have some only sort one person is going to be charges. doing a lot
3: of drilling. That's me, Saul. Nobody touches
0: my turf. This is my beat. No one touches the drilling beat <laughs> except for me. That's right. You think that the hostiles killed the other drillers? No, it was me. I got <laughs> blood and dirt on my hands. <laughs> Don't mess with Saul.
3: Oh my God,
0: <laughs> we're in the we're in the era of Saul now, baby. Like he's back for the rest of the season now. This so is his time. Dreaming. Though I guess it is canon, right? That he also exists out of the time stream. So I guess it was always his time.
3: Yeah. Oh my God. So
0: we we heard this clip in the opening. Uh, you know, Jerry and Phil are sort of like humming a humming a humminging back and forth as to I don't want to get up the floor. Do you want to get up the floor? There's a lot of like bureaucracy going on in Dharma that we'll get used to starting in this episode, right, of, like, I don't want to step on anyone's toes, I don't want to let anyone else know about this, despite, you know... All of the preachiness of Namaste and like keeping this big open community working towards uh saving the world. Lots lots of secrets being kept, but lots of bodies being buried, I would say, amongst the various members of the Dharma initiative. And it starts here where they're just like, I don't want to take off the boss, do you?
3: Yeah. Uh the relate like the power that um James has amassed at this point in time is really impressive that everybody's like so scared to like piss off LaFleur, which you can see, and I think it's one of the reasons why I love uh where where they take Sawyer uh, at this point. Um, because, like, yeah, there are ways in which he's grown up. You know, he's settling mm-hmm. down. He's, like, very happy in, like, his monogamous life. There's no angle with Juliet. He just loves her. And that's wonderful. Yeah. And he's steadily employed. And, like, that's fun. It is a ruse. You know, he's not who he says he is, but he he takes the job seriously. Um, but he's still presents to these people as like a guy you don't want to cross as your boss. Uh which feels like supremely Sawyer. Uh yes. you know, like so I, I love that like they find a way to like real like they I think the reason why like the 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 season five story works so well for Sawyer is that it feels like less like um you know, I was going to say like less like a change as if change has a negative connotation. It doesn't. But I think like it feels more like a growth, like it feels more mm. like him, him, like hi- him, like actively like it sounds like a growth sounds bad, but it sounds like more like <laughs> the natural next steps for this character.
0: I agree. I think it's not a switch, it's a dial. Yeah, That it's not like, okay, now Jim LaFleur is a completely different person than James Ford. Uh, I think it it really is, like, these are characteristics in Sawyer. To that point, I wouldn't be surprised if in the intervening years, like, Sawyer got angry at things that have been happening. And if they know that he has a temper, that makes sense as to why, you know, it's 3 a.m., he is not lonely, he's sleeping with Juliet, but that he would want to wake him up. Uh, but they decide to do it right. They knock on the door. This is the clip that we heard. They do a, a really fun job here where we see it from Sawyer's angle. We're looking at the two of them. We hear like a grumbling drawl, but you might not necessarily put two and two together until we reverse on that angle. And it's revealed that LaFleur is indeed Sawyer should be noted. I mean, if we're talking about changing a person, even though it's your point, it's a growth, not a change of uh, Sawyer's look, this is the very first time we have seen him clean shaven on the island since the pilot. Since back when he was rocking that long sleeve shirt with the t-shirt on it for some reason. And I think that says a lot, right? There is this idea of sort of like uh, wearing the white hat, right? And I think that sort of is represented maybe in facial hair as opposed to what happens with Jack, who goes from obviously very clean shaven to bearded as all get out in the intervening three years. But I think Sawyer changing his look in a manner of speaking is maybe his own signal to himself of becoming that different person. Yeah,
3: I can see that. Um. Alright, so we do get the, the LeFleur reveal, and that's what uh, slams us to commercial. Where do we go next?
0: Yeah, so, but before that, can I just ask, because I feel like for the past couple of weeks, right, we've been certainly doing a lot of, like, well, if we shift some scenes around, how would the episode work? How do you feel about the way these, these scenes are arranged? Because I could definitely see an argument of you know, start with the the LaFleur scene and then do Lost, then come back and do, like, the the rope stuff. How do you feel about saving that until after we do the one final flash? I
3: don't think I have too many issues with the structure of LaFleur. I think that, like, for us to be a little bit time-displaced and disoriented with the people who themselves have been disoriented, but now within the disorientation, they seem oriented, so now we feel more disoriented... I think that that's appropriate. I think it's appropriate uh for some measure of disorientation. Uh like I think th- I think that that's fine. I think I think it serves the episode really well to have this structure where like we are um cutting back and forth. Um, where we do like know that like this works out for them to some extent because like that shouldn't be the big mystery this is the setting of the season and besides especially if you pair it with 316 in the proper order of the show in the aired order you know that they make it anyway right like you know that they make it through um, Jin showing up in a dharma jumper so yeah i've got no issue with how the episode is structured what would you change around
0: no, I, I wouldn't either. I'm just sort of throwing mm-hmm. it out as a devil's advocate, because I know that I'm usually, you know, this was me last week, right? I'm like, shoved everything around! We want the big surprises. But I think what this does really effectively is, again, I cannot say enough, this is an incredibly unique episode in its structure in that I really could take arguments as to whether this is a 1974 episode with flash-forwards to 1977— or a 1977 episode to flashbacks to 1974. You know, I think it really depends on the way that you view things because it really is like parallel lines in terms of coverage of both of these eras as opposed to the typical flashback, flash forward structure. So I think them setting this up right off the bat is really smart, right? Of here's a scene from 74, basically. Here's a scene from 77. It's really setting up this like these dual, dual fates of these people both before and after uh, these three years that I think is is a healthy way to set it up. And really, it would just be like switching those two scenes around. And I do think the LaFleur reveal is a better throw to credits than, okay, we'll do it as long as it takes. Like, as long as it takes works great with that throw to three years later. I don't think it works if you end with son of a bitch three years earlier. I think you're going to, you can let go of that now. And that feels a little, it feels out of order to me.
3: Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. I think that that I, I agree with that. Um, we keep going, though, with this timeline where Sawyer and Miles, who have, like, not been tight, are now suddenly, like, super tight.
0: <laughs> yeah, so, so Miles is Sawyer's employee, which we'll get into in a sound clip uh, coming up, you know, pretty soon here, where Sawyer basically uh, is sort of letting him in. He asks if he has his zapper on them. We get a little bit of exposition here in the van that Horace is essentially, like, despite Sawyer's sort of rise to prominence here, it does seem like Horace is still their boss, right? He seems to be One's boss when it comes to security. They find him passed out in the grass. Sora basically tells Miles, dispose of any evidence right now, including the charred tree that lies outside the proximity of Dharmaville. I'm just basically going to, like, you know, pull a John Locke, throw this unconscious body over my shoulder, and take him back home. And he does. And this is where we get introduced. We've seen Horace before, obviously. I don't think we've seen Amy up to this point, but we're going to get introduced to uh, Ethan's mommy herself, Amy Goodspeed.
3: Oh my God. Amy Goodspeed, uh, who is played by Rako Ailsworth, uh, who is Michelle Dessler on 24. Uh, one of
0: Yes, I think a couple of, I think her and Doug Hutchison were both 24 people. Uh, right? Doug
3: Hutchison has a, a minor 24 role. And I, is it season? I think it's season eight. He's, terrifying when he's on there but it, is it season 8 yet it, maybe season 7 it's one of them i'm not sure it's the new york season that's season 8 okay uh he's terrible he's short lived but while he's there he's horrifying um yeah she's she's delightful as michelle dessler one of my favorite characters from that show uh i do not love amy goodspeed uh not my mm. not my favorite character um but i i have so much uh, fondness and affection for uh, her twenty four character that that supersedes how I feel about the character on law. She is going to advocate at some point for like um, executing Saeed.
0: So yeah, well I was going to say this is the, I think this is her best episode to the point where I was possibly toying if we had more room to give her an MVP point because she is able to like get some stuff done in seventy four and in seventy seven she does give birth and she's one of the only people to give birth on the island and live. Uh, that is certainly one for the record book. So it's a good introduction in my opinion, uh, but maybe not subsequently the more we get to know her, because basically Sawyer drops drops him off on the couch, right, basically asks, like, what the hell was going on? All she can say is the name Paul. Maybe this is sort of like, uh, you know, like uh, surreptitiously or subconsciously, the baby that's in her belly starts going aggro here, and Amy is about to go into labor uh, but not to belabor the point, we go back in time once again. Now, Josh, we go back to 74 because there is one more loose end to tie up. Because as we remember, there was one, formerly two members of our crew that were not with everybody. At the well, there is still one person left unaccounted for, uh, and it is indeed Daniel Faraday. He's going to get brought back into the fold, though I think it's quite obvious from the tone that he's taking on that he is not all right given everything that happened in this place is death. Let's see uh, the group merge, as it were, before they move forward. This is sound number two. Mm -hmm.
1: Where's Red? I don't know. Daniel? You okay? I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to tell her. Daniel, where's Charlotte? She's not here. She's gone where she's dead she's dead there's not a flash she was she was gone her body just disappeared she moved on We stayed. I'm so sorry. Hold on, wait a minute. We stayed? We're not traveling through time anymore. You saying it's over? Of course it's over. Wherever we are now. Whenever we are now. We're here for good. Won't do it. Won't. I'm not. I'm not. Okay, Okay, swell Till Dan checks back in I say we head back to the beach When Locke gets back with everybody That's where they'll be looking for us The beach? We didn't get enough flaming arrows shot at you? And your camp is gone Why bother? Sorry, right, Miles We should go back to the beach we survived there before. We can do it again. Or maybe when we get there, you'll, you'll want to go back to the orchid again. And then when that gets boring, we can head back to the beach. It's the only two plans you people have. Exhibit. Hey, I'm heading back to the beach. Our stuffs are great. If not, we build new stuff. You don't like the plan? Good luck. We'll put him in charge.
3: No one yet, technically.
0: Exactly. Now listen, I'm still not really on the Miles train at this point. I still think he's a little bit of a negative Nancy in this episode. But even I'll admit that I think the the line about how, oh, if we go to the beach maybe we'll go back to the orchid is pretty funny.
3: Yeah, uh cuz they've been zigzagging and you know Miles too has also just been like kind of deeply on the move. Uh you know, I think like he, in contrast to Sawyer, he like, you know, he like sat down on a platform for like two minutes uh, and then like the island disappeared. So, yeah, he's been having they're, they've all been having a really rough go at this point. So they're kind of at wit's end.
0: So let's talk about Faraday first and foremost here, because like, in my opinion, I think this man is broken right now. Oh, right? gosh, like, yeah. He's like muttering to himself, and all he's basically is saying is, "I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to tell." I'm curious about that. Is that is is he talking about what Charlotte told him about how Daniel had talked to her in the past? Do you think? Mm,
3: I don't know. Um, I don't know. This
0: whole scene is just like this whole
3: scene is just like kind of brutal. I think like you look at Faraday, you see like the catatonic state he's in, and you you know that this is just like. This is a man who's been destabilized. They had all seen, like, the state that Charlotte was in. The fact that she's not with them anymore has to be, like, deeply unsettling. And I think for Faraday... I've been trying to, like, think about, like, just how effed up Faraday has been by all of this, Mike. Like, Mm -hmm. for her to, like, disappear. And then, like, where... Not only, like, whatever happened happened, but wherever Charlotte... wherever charlotte died and uh and and was laid to rest which is not really like she wasn't really laid to rest like there she is that's where charlotte so like no one buried her nothing mm-hmm. happened she's just stuck there she moved on and we stayed is a really nice way of putting it
0: yeah i mean there's also i think a finality to it as well right like it's not like charlotte's gonna come back to life but i can imagine that actually losing the physical sense of her uh means that like even the island realizes that she's gone and she's not coming back as as faraday himself proves says she moved on and we stayed which is also like very fun and evocative of the final season right and especially that final turn that we get in the end this idea of moving on staying behind etc but i do think there is sort of just like a punctuation point with the disappearance of Charlotte's body, that even the island's like, yeah, she's dead, dude. She's not coming back anytime soon. Yeah,
3: it's tough. Um, this is uh, a a very, 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 very close to the end of the Daniel Faraday
0: story, by the way. I, I was going to say, like, I'm trying to remember if really, like, until because you left, or not until, like, the variable, if we really get that much Daniel Faraday content, I don't think we do.
3: Yeah, we don't. Um he shows back he this is his last episode until some like it hoth he's there right because
0: because because he's gonna go off island a couple times right
3: he just leaves the island he leaves the island here uh he's he's gone uh so you won't see him again until some like it hoth uh in the very final scene and then the next episode is the variable and that is where he dies so we are effectively at the end of daniel faraday's story like we have not reached like the like the 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 significant left turn but they really uh you think about faraday a lot when you think about the time travel season but i think what you what you forget is that like he's really barely here
0: well, I think it also is a sign of, like, what we're departing from in terms of that plot point as well, right? It's almost like, time travel's done. We don't really need the time travel guy anymore. Yeah. We sort of solved it. As Faraday says, the record's back on, even if it's not on the song that they want right now. And so I could imagine that even he is like, let me go sow my wild oats somewhere else, right? Like, the big mystery has been solved in this case. Let me go take care of some other stuff. Also, get me the F off this island right now, because I do not want to be here. Yeah,
3: yeah um all right so uh they're gonna they're gonna go back on the move it's time to time to make moves while they wait for johnny Locke.
0: yes even though you know juliet's gonna amuse to sawyer later sawyer thanks her for sticking up for him but she's like great yeah but it was also like a pretty shitty plan yeah like you better i'm buying you time right now to come up with something which again i love the juliet sawyer stuff uh in this as well And they are taken away from one of their two destinations by gunshots, and they hear, like, a woman sobbing and screaming. Again, another interesting uh, small note, I would say, from Jeremy Davies' performance is you see, like, everyone immediately run over to where the sounds are coming from except him. It seems like he seems almost like a step behind everybody else from a mental perspective. Like, they immediately see it and run, and you can see Faraday kind of, like, amble behind them so clearly he still is is thinking of other things but everyone else is focused on the matter at hand which is a scene where two hostiles have apparently already shot and killed a man who's going to be paul yes and they have a woman with a bag over her head Uh, And so, they basically, they're trying to debate what to do. Miles is taking the side of whatever happened, happened. Let's not interfere. But Sawyer and Juliet immediately jump into action, right? This is where we get another Got Your Back reference, which is, like, becoming their catchphrase. And, man, they, like, one-two shot finish off these two hostiles. One shot from Juliet and then one shot from Sawyer. And they just gun down these two hostiles immediately. Unbag the woman, and it's Amy.
3: It's Amy. So we already know her because we've seen her in uh the deeper seventies, uh the three years deeper seventies. Uh these hostels just shooting this man. Mm. Not a fan of that.
0: Yeah, so I want to maybe I'll say I'll save this for the richer talk. i I have the uh the official transcript of the truce that I want to get into okay, cool. because because there was this special edition of the season five DVD that was like the Dharma initiative orientation manual that had a bunch of cool stuff with it, including the like full transcript of the truce between the hostiles and the Dharma initiative. So there is some stuff here, but I never understood why the hostiles were allowed to do this, right, there's going to be a big deal made later on of, like, well, you killed two of our people, so therefore we have to take something from you, but they definitely killed a guy first in cold blood for what seems like no particular reason.
3: Not really any clear reason other than, like, let's kill a person today. Uh, so, yeah, they suck. Um, Sawyer's going to give the spiel, right, of, like, yeah, we're on a shipwreck. Uh, totally. Yeah, so Don't mind yeah, so my Sawyer- genes that say
0: 1999. We just are really out of style here. Uh, we're fashion forward here on this boat. But yeah, basically, Juliet's able to discern from the Dharma, you know, uh, uniforms that they are back in the 70s or 80s. Like you said, this is when Sawyer starts with his own The Lie saying, well, we were on our way to Tahiti and we got shipwrecked. What I really appreciate about what Sawyer does here, and we'll see it in the horror scene as well, is that, and this is how you can tell he's a good con man, is that he is creating a narrative using pieces that he already knows, right? Like, he's going to reference the Black Rock, he's going to reference a shipwreck. Hell, he was part of his own shipwreck, so I'm sure he can certainly talk through the feeling. He'd be like, I had to dig a bullet out of my shoulder, or whatever. Like, he certainly is pulling from his own experience and knowledge of the island to help create this narrative, which I think works a lot more than even, like, what Benjamin Linus tries to do with the whole Henry Gale tale.
3: Yeah, uh, Sawyer is an expert. Sawyer's con... So it's either that Sawyer is an expert or the Dharma Initiative sucks. And also both things could be true. Uh, But Sawyer's con gets them three years on the island immersed within the Dharma Initiative. Benjamin Linus's
0: con gets him, what, like a week uh as henry gale right like yeah i mean and he, i mean he does get two people to die but yeah it's, i think it's more productive what sawyer does than he, Ben. he maybe. does
3: but like th- yeah like if that's that that's not the way we're tallying the score i don't think like that's like that's like an extreme measure and he doesn't really do that that's michael's call and it's like mrs clue like sending sending him on on that mission uh i think you know as far as like maintaining a lie and an illusion goes uh, I guess. You could say, like, Ben's, like, leadership over the others is as leader of the others for a long time, like, this very effective brainwashing. But I think yeah. that the feat of Sawyer uh, getting himself and all of his friends, like, not just in the Dharma Initiative, but, like... Uh, at the hub of things cassandra style that sawyer is the head of security is wild like the background checks that he had to clear to get that job like how does he do it like it's
0: one thing to survive like this initial phase but they remain embedded mike for three years yeah and especially though we'll talk about it. i think sawyer is the only one to not give his own name Right, like I'm pretty sure Juliet has her name. I can't remember if Jin goes by Jin. Uh so he's the one that I think is putting in the most work, but I agree. Admirably doing so. To answer your question about the head of security thing, I do believe that Paul was the head of security. So I think it certainly helps that there was a vacancy in the position at a certain point.
3: Yeah. Uh it's just impressive.
0: Incredibly so. And so Amy, though when she sort of like comes down from the fracas, says immediately we have to bury the bodies because of the truce. Uh, You know, we have to dispose of these bodies. So nobody knows about it. And everyone is extremely accommodating to her, right? Jin volunteers uh, to bury the bodies. Uh, You know, they, he decides to carry Paul back to the barracks. Poor Amy's husbands basically like are always getting slung over someone's shoulders and brought back into Dharmaville as they're walking here. Sawyer is basically going to try to like rah, rah, the group here, right? Says, I'm a professional. I used to lie for a living. Let me do the talking. That's another really fun mini arc of this as well, is as much as we've talked about the buildup of Sawyer becoming a leader, this this seed was planted all the way back in uh, Left Behind, right? The, the Hurley storyline. Yeah. It's something that's really going to come to fruition here, because now Jack's gone, Kate's gone, Saeed's gone, and now... Locke is gone. As much as Sawyer tried to lead these people in the first five episodes, it was really like a combination of Daniel Faraday for a while, and then once Locke took in, like he was the one saying, let's go to the Orchid, let me climb down the well, etc. This is Sawyer's first opportunity to, I think, really step into that position. And I really like seeing sort of like the genus of it here into what we're going to see later on, right, where even immediately, like, they're going to follow his orders, they are going to defect all or deflect all of the stories onto Sawyer to cover for all of them. So like, it's pretty momentous. This is the first time that I think Sawyer is finally ready to take these reins. And he does so extremely successfully.
3: Yeah. Uh,
0: I, um,
3: I, I love, I love Sawyer here and I love Juliet in this episode, Mike, but uh, Juliet is about to do something not great where she's like, Hey, hold up. That looks like a, a sonic fence or something.
0: Right, so they reach the pylons, right? Daniel Faraday nearly, I mean, we see what happens when they walk through. Like, they just get knocked out. But you would assume that, like, he's about to become full Mikhail bleeding from the ears by just absentmindedly walking through the fence. But Juliet, yeah, even though Sawyer's saying, you know, let me do the talking, Juliet can't help herself, right? She's near New Otherton for the first time in quite a while. She says, oh, well, uh, let's not walk through here. This looks like a sonic weapon. Of course I know about this. Uh I am to a person in the mid 70s who knows their way around sonic weapons. Maybe you should turn that thing off. And maybe this is, you know, maybe this is the moment where Amy catches on to them. Maybe she was suspicious of them the entire time, but basically she quote unquote uh turns off the sonic fence, but really she just put earplugs in, walked through, pretended it was off and was able to essentially dupe this entire group.
3: Yeah uh I it always bothered me how she like she leans in she like clearly gets the earplugs from that yeah she she
0: reaches in and grabs and like Juliet
3: who's like who knows like she should be watching for that I feel like
0: yeah well especially like I feel like that was her mo in season three too right was like oh let me do something secretly uh you know i'm a mole uh you would think that it takes a mole to know a mole but maybe again she's still a little addled from everything that she doesn't necessarily expect her to pull out the old earplug trick maybe ben banned earplugs
3: Mm -hmm. (laughs) no more earplugs i want you to hear me clearly with your full audio range
0: (laughs) exactly like please do not block out my sound when i speak I, uh, you have to listen to every syllable that comes out of my beautiful mouth. So please, no earplugs no around. No earplugs. I'm sorry if there's a cricket outside your window, but you must not sleep through the night. No earplugs. That
3: classic earplug trick. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, are people, is it just the one pair in there? Are there multiple earplugs? Like, do you Hi, use them, one you pair. replace them? Like, how does that work? And is everybody's, like, wax just cross-contaminating? It's That's gross. what I was going to
0: say. Like, it seems super grody. I know that the 70s were not necessarily uh, the biggest decade for health and safety standards but like, I don't want to use a pair of earplugs that Horace has used.
3: Yeah, no, me needs. Uh, That's (laughs) gross. Super gross. Especially Horace. I don't want anything to do with that guy. I hate that guy.
0: Well, well, Horace is nowhere to be seen as we go back to 77 here, right? He's still uh, sleeping off his hangover right now. But Amy is in labor. She's taken to a doctor who looks... So familiar to me. I think I realized, Josh, that he looks a lot like uh, Chris Diamantopoulos, uh, a.k.a. Brian, the cameraman from the last season of The Office. He played uh, Russ from Silicon Valley. Like, he has that very similar face, but with this horrible 70s hair. He's a doctor, but he really doesn't specialize in, in being an OB whatsoever. He basically says, like, There's a breech birth. We're going to have to have a C-section. But our OB was supposed to come two weeks from now because, hey, hey, it's lost. And there's an early baby coming along. Uh, And so Sawyer basically has to think in the moment. He has a plan in mind. And that plan involves a brisk yet bouncy haired walk over to the motor pool. uh, (laughs) As we find out what has befallen yet another member of his group. Let's listen in here. Sound number three.
1: Hey, man. Where is she? What's up? Amy's having her baby.
0: What? Did you hear me?
1: She's in trouble. Doc says she needs a cesarean. We had an agreement. Screw our agreement. He ain't never done one. I'm guessing you have you understand that every time I try to help a woman on this island give birth, it hasn't worked. Well, maybe whatever made that happen hasn't happened yet. You gotta try. You gotta help her. You're the only one that can.
0: So obviously this episode is is known for, you know, how the group fits into the 70s. But I think what we forget is this is the episode where Juliet kind of gets her groove back, Josh.
3: Yeah, Um, I have always I don't know why uh, one of my favorite uh, moments in this episode and one I think about a lot is Juliet coming out from underneath the van and just going,
0: what's up? (laughs) i mean elizabeth mitchell looks so freaking cute in that like lilac bandana Mm -hmm. when she's going to become like a you know home chef later on like she it makes sense that she settled into dharmaville considering she had already lived there for three years but yeah i love how casual she becomes when she sort of gets settled into life as a dharma member
3: yeah Uh, what's
0: up i don't know why And this is also, again, we're going to have the big reveal later on that the two of them are an item. But I think when you look at this scene from the lens, knowing this, and especially the next scene that we're going to get into, like, you get that feeling, right? That despite them sort of regarding each other as maybe friends at this point, like, there is still care for each other here. I think Juliet's being a little vulnerable to Sawyer when she goes on about hey, you know, in the past, everyone who I've, you know, helped uh, deliver into this world has ended up dying. Right. What's what's to make it seem like this would be different? And then Sawyer, I think, is very, you know, uh, motivational to her, in a manner of speaking. Hey, yeah, you've it's got kind of saying, this.
3: Like, Whatever caused that, it hasn't happened yet. Like, You've got this, Julia. You're which, the best.
0: Which is true, right? Are we to assume that the incident was the thing that yeah, kind of caused the issues? that seems uh, to the the be issues? the thing.
3: That seems to be the thing. I think, like, the correlation of, like, the timing on that, I think that that lines up. And it's hard to think of, like, another event on Lost that um that uh connects that, that puts that together.
0: So despite her reservations, Juliet is gonna jump in, right? And she immediately takes to it like a duck to water or a Dharma shark to water. She's gonna start like going into the parlance here. Uh Sawyer and Juliet basically sort of like strong arm this thing into happening, right? The doctor's like, well, what about Horace? And uh Sawyer's like, I'm speaking on behalf of Horace. Mm-hmm. And again, another Interesting moment in retrospect. It's super brief, but what I noticed this time was, you know, Sawyer basically tells Juliet, good luck, but, like, there's this lingering pause where he gives her this look and it's charged. But I don't think you realize it's charged upon your first viewing. It might just be, like, from a dramatic perspective, but, like, it's absolutely from like a. I really care about you. Yes. I want you to do well. Well, you perspective. can when you when
3: you know that they are uh, a couple. Uh, like this whole section of the episode plays totally differently. Um, yeah. Like it's not just like him coming to another one of his friends who's undercover as a member of the Dharma Initiative. He's coming to like his ride or die in life. You know, this is his person. This is his constant.
0: Yeah, and so I think from that perspective, like it's it's easy. It's interesting to compare this to like the Sawyer and Kate scenes. And this is why the Sawyer and Juliet relationship is so fundamentally different in how much it informs Sawyer's, because Sawyer and Kate always felt like they were kind of so samey in certain perspectives that they were kind of like two dogs playing together in a dog park of like chasing each other around and like constantly wrestling and hardly being ever direct with one another. And like Juliet and Sawyer, I think, have much more of a sobering relationship in that regard, and that, like, they can get down to business, they can hype each other up, but they're not exactly, like, playing games with each other. That's not really their yeah. style of relationship.
3: Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Alright, time to... Let's bring in the baby.
0: <laughs> bring in the baby, and the baby daddy as well, as we're going to get, uh, as is indicated in the captions, parentheses, flu- fluently, Jin... Uh, we're gonna see what a difference three years makes for Jin Soo Kwan specifically as he's gonna sit down with Sawyer they're gonna have a quick discussion about like the status quo of things but yeah the bigger thing is uh, Juliet's gonna have this triumph here it worked as she's going to say much much later on in the series
1: is everything okay Amy went to labor I know is she okay I don't know there's a problem Juliet. Juliet pulled her out of retirement
2: Any luck? We finished grid 133 today. No sign of our people. No No one. One,
1: 134, then. How long do we look, James? As long as it takes. Boy, he's okay. She's okay. Everyone's
0: okay. <sighs> such a small scene, but such a great scene. I'm not okay. <laughs> uh, it's it's such a great moment for Julia, and really, this is like the first positive moment that these people have experienced on the island since, you know, Jack made that call on the sat phone at the end of season three, right? It's almost like these people deserve a little bit of happiness, and that's another reason why I feel like this episode is such a, a release compared to the previous two, even, is because, like, it's a, it's a moment of joy. Sawyer's beaming, Juliet's crying. It's like a genuinely joyous moment for these people that you, deserve it so
3: much. Do you think that their tune uh, would, would change if they knew that that was Ethan?
0: See, that's the thing, right? Where I, for some reason, I thought that this episode also had, like, oh, I'm gonna name him Ethan, and then no, we cut that's Juliet's later. face. That's later on, right? Yeah,
3: that's a, that's a little while from now. Uh, that might be next week. It's next week, or it's He's our You, or whatever happened to happen.
0: <laughs> They'd be like, it's, uh, I'll be re- <laughs> yeah. Let me take this baby. Did they build the well yet? Let me see. <laughs> um,
3: you know what I thought was fascinating is, uh, it just connected for me that, like, Aaron... Came early, thanks to like something, uh, somewhat Ethan's intervention, right? Of like, yeah. Uh, the and then he also arrived early. I think like the way that Ethan's story kind of rounds out is is pretty fascinating,
0: and also interesting that Jin was at both births. Yeah, he <laughs> was. Know, he, he seems to be uh, the constant here. He wasn't at the, the birth of his own daughter, but no. he was at all these other births uh, as well. We should also mention like the Jin Sawyer stuff briefly because. I'm starting to realize here, Josh, is as long as it takes Sawyer's version of live together, die alone?
3: Um, as long as it takes. I mean, initially, it was uh, every man for himself. Uh, is it now as long as it takes? I mean, maybe. I know his his whatever happened happened is what's done is done.
0: Yeah, but he doesn't he so he says as long as it takes before we get the time jump yeah. earlier in this episode and then we get it here as well. I do wonder if this is like again, like live together or die alone. This is his mantra that he's been repeating to the group of like I know times are tough right yeah. now. It looks like we have nowhere else to go, but listen, Locke will come back as long as it takes. And it's also a really unique angle from Sawyer as well, right? That this is it's a guy a big who, Avengers
3: Endgame vibe to it. Whatever it takes.
0: Yeah, as long uh, and also as it the takes. The, and also the fact that he sort of has this end goal that he's working towards, right? He believes that once Locke comes back, assumingly with the Oceanic Six, then like everything's fine, everything will go back to normal. Juliet's going to point out later how that basically is a fallacy, that everything is already fixed, and John already solved everything, but I don't know. I, I, again, you don't expect necessarily a character like Sawyer. Maybe you a did a, a bit during the Raft storyline of, oh, you're surprisingly showing interest in leaving the island and getting rescued. But really, Sawyer hasn't really been that character that's like, I'm holding out hope that something will happen. And again, I think that shows... A gradual shift for this character of becoming more community oriented and looking ahead, much like Jack did, much like Jack did with rescue in season three and four. Sawyer's doing it here in a manner of speaking. In this case, the rescue is, I guess, the return of the people who left.
3: Yeah. So at the same time that Ethan is born, at least like structurally within the episode, we get the birth of a different character, Mike.
0: Yes. So we're gonna flashback. Three years here. This is Sawyer waking up uh, post fence incident. He's going to wake up in the rec room. Uh, You might not realize it because the sun isn't shining, but this is indeed where Kate was basically like, uh, uh, you know, isolated in uh, during the middle part of season three. He's going to get woken up by what was considered a friendly face maybe a not-so-friendly face in this set of circumstances. This is going to be the first of two scenes between James Ford and Horace Goodspeed, and this is where Sawyer immediately starts the con that is going to last three years and then some. Sound number five.
1: How's your head? It hurts. Where are my people? They're
2: fine. Amy told me what happened in the jungle, and I really appreciate what you did. Well, y'all got a funny way of showing your appreciation. Look, we have a certain defense protocol. There are hostile indigenous people on this island, and we don't get along with them.
1: So, why don't you tell me who the hell you are? My name's James Lafleur. You can call me Jim. How'd you get to the island, Jim? My friends are safe. Why
2: are you asking me all the questions? They told me I need to talk to you. That you're the boat captain.
1: We got caught in a storm, shipwrecked. Almost hit the reef. Thankfully, we washed up on shore. What kind of ship? Salvage vessel. We're searching for a famous lost wreck. It's an old slaver out of Portsmouth, England, called Black Rock. Ever heard of her? Can't say that I have.
2: So, once you got washed ashore, why were you then wandering around in the jungle?
1: Some of our crew were missing. We were looking for them. That's when we came upon your girl instead.
2: Mm. Well, I tell you what, Jim. If your crew shows up, we'll send them along with you. Send them where? There's a submarine that leaves this island first thing in the morning. You and your friends are going to get on it. It's going to drop you off in Tahiti. You can find your way home from there.
1: Hold on a minute, Chief. We just saved that woman's life. Doesn't that earn us a week or two to find the rest of our people?
2: Nope. Only people that are allowed to stay on this compound are members of the Dharma Initiative. And look, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, please, Jim. But you are not Dharma material.
3: What a jerk. I hate Horace. I have to be honest, I think I hate Horace Goodspeed.
0: Is it partially informed by like the Doug Hutchison stuff? Yes. I it's tough to separate character, but, you know, from actor there. But I also think he's he's not good in this episode. But I
3: but one thing that I do like about the character is that I think I'm not supposed to like him um that's the
0: thing yeah i think he's supposed to come across as like maybe not a big bad but i think certainly an antagonist if we're supposed to believe like the he is the one that i think is is helping impede the progress of our protagonists when it comes to them living in the 70s yeah um
3: because like i i i feel like one of the things that is help like one of the things that the horace goodspeed story helps with is um why why the dharma initiative fails he's like he's a very indecisive leader he is like mm-hmm. he is like uh he's like sort of like a, a a he cowtails to the to the people's whims without like carefully measuring what is actually good for the for the people making like hard choices that are going to run contrary to what other people want like when he uh in he's are you is going to call for the vote of what to do with Said, and everybody is like talking about executing him rather than like Allowing, uh, LeFleur the space to not agree with that call. He's going to like publicly pressure LeFleur. I would really like this to be unanimous. Uh, and then he just like completely gets, uh, yanked out of power by Radzinski, who like basically stages a coup, like a military Mm -hmm. coup within Dharma. Um, yeah, I think Horace. Horace really sucks and I think like that is that is by design I think that you are supposed to dislike this character and I think that he's supposed to demonstrate something that is like a very central piece of Lost which is that like everybody in the the leadership position is going to be a flawed leader and it's just a matter of like uh, who can get us out of harm's way with the least sustained damage. Um, Horace fails at that. He gets all of his people killed including himself. Well, what,
0: what I think is also interesting is that I think Horace, to that point, has, like, the opposite approach that Benjamin Linus does. So I think I find it interesting that, like assumingly, Horace is still, like, kind of the leader, or at least in a position of power by the time The Purge happens, and Ben's going to step into that position that, like, they approach things and almost have the exact opposite issues. If Ben's problem is that he is too much of a dictator and tries to lead people along via lies and not reveal the truth to anybody, Horace is a little bit more of a pushover, right? That, like, he is trying to do things by consensus, and I think it's a little more flimsy in terms of, like, laying down the law that allows other people to to step in there it's an interesting take and i think it's also interesting to sort of compare the leadership styles of the di with the others in that perspective right like we're going to see the quote-unquote hostiles version of richard alpert which is much more i would say aggressive than we really have seen before and maybe ben sort of co-ops that as opposed to Horace Goodspeed here coming in with, like, yeah, we're all working together, we're building this community, I want everyone to have a say here, even when it comes to, like, incredibly urgent matters at this point. I mean, listen, it's good for Sawyer, but his will's gonna bend a little bit here, where he goes from the end of this scene to, alright, you have one night and then you're going to send you on that sub to like, all right, I'll give you two weeks and then that just keeps getting expanded further and further. Look no further to that as to how uh, I think that unfortunately Horace Goodspeed can be a bit of a pushover when it comes to being a leader. Yeah,
3: you know, you you need to listen to the people. That has to happen. That is an essential piece of this, but I think that there's like no courage of convictions within Horace Goodspeed either. Like, I think that he's just like somebody who like has like kind of fallen into this role and is kind of shitty at it. So I don't know. I don't like him and I really don't care for doug hutchison he's a weird person and i don't like it
0: no he's a weird person he's a pretty terrible person as well so yeah i think that's absolutely fine let's, let's talk about the sawyer side of things though because like this is an incredible performance let's talk about jim lafleur here he's great uh, i he, mean he's he, like, good
3: he, he's done it's like it's clockwork he's done this before it's been a minute because he's been on this island for many months now um but like he was doing this kind of stuff you know all the way up to like, you know, at the very least, he was, he was pulling the, the old, uh, ice cream sundae enchilada, uh, <laughs> sex trick back in, yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> confidence man, in confidence man. Yeah. Um, or an outlaws rather. So yeah, he's, he's been doing this stuff pretty recently. So he's just like reactivating a not terribly old
0: gear. Not to mention the long con stuff, too, right? Like, he even has on-island practice for doing this, so he's not completely out of step, though. I think the fabrication of the person is interesting. Like I said before, like, correct me if I'm wrong here, I do believe that... Sawyer is one of the only people to like build up this own persona. It channels a little bit of like Caroline Decker to me from Community, uh but I like it too because like he's going for that this entire personality, right? Like he's a boat captain, so he he'd be from a uh you know, a water-based area like Nola, and so he'd use a Creole name. I think it's very interesting that he uses his real name. As a part of this, Josh, right? That he's no longer Sawyer. He is James LaFleur. Even though he is still not calling himself James Ford necessarily, he is using his first name. I think that means a lot personally.
3: Yeah, he's like stepping into himself a little bit more.
0: Just a little bit. Yeah, again, it's it's inching into the water there. This is weird to like break this conversation down from a strategy perspective, but the whole black rock bait that he throws out there i think is genius because not only is he teeing up information that he already knows so that people can like sort of check it against their own sources as to whether or not he is to be trusted but i think he's also trying to gauge a bit about what he knows about the opposition right like he wants to see julian has already told him that these are old dharma initiative outfits so he knows who he's working with he wants to see what horace knows as well and i think now sawyer is beginning to realize like Oh, there are things that have happened that I think I know more about than these people do. And again, if we ask, how does he get into a position of power in only three years? I certainly think that's part of it.
3: Yeah. Uh, He's so good. He's so great. Uh, Everybody else is just like, kind of like waiting to find out what's going to (laughs) happen.
0: Yeah, they're chilling on the patio. It seems like they get food. So, like, good on the DI, I I guess, for feeding your prisoners uh, at this point. Miles is again being like, oh, we're screwed. Why did we leave things in his hands? He's not a boat captain. Juliet is sort of like off in her own world at this point, right? Because she is experiencing some big déjà vu. She's looking around the place that she has lived in for the past three years. Uh, Miles is going to muse to her, "Welcome home," Welcome and I home. feel like that's it's an incredibly weighty line because, again, the character of Juliet—we're going to get into this later in the episode. Like, this is a character who, throughout seasons three and four, was just looking for a way to escape. And I can only imagine what was going through her head when it's like she was invariably drawn back. I know that Riley in his essay on Desmond, right, talked about how the island's not done with you yet. I think this might be Juliet's moment of realizing that.
3: Yeah, I mean, and certainly like Juliet is going to be foundational to so much of what's happened to these characters, given her role in the incident and, you know, bashing that bomb uh yeah there may be this sense of i don't know it's certainly not something that she's psyched about and like at this point you know she's still thinking once she finds out about the sub and stuff yep you know she's, she's still like great. there's leave. no
0: lock around to blow it up i'm gonna get on this sub
3: yeah but it is definitely really powerful and i think the way elizabeth mitchell plays it like you she really conveys the weight of the moment of just like how long this place has just been like wrapped around juliet and dragging her to the bottom of the of the pit uh as it yeah. were not to be so evocative given her ending
0: yeah and so fayra is gonna say what is probably i think his last line until he comes back at the end of some like it hoth where he basically says the record is spinning again we're just not on the song we want to be on we want to make your own kind of music instead we got downtown but he's gonna be distracted here by seeing a little girl with red hair and a red dress, Veruca Salt style, running by, and Daniel immediately recognizes who he thinks and is, but like, pretty big assumption to draw that it's Charlotte.
3: Baby Charlotte, oh my god. charlotte yeah. Baby Charlotte, doo doo do. sorry. Sorry to everybody. <laughs>
0: Oh, no, the record's skipping. I
3: know. <laughs> yeah. Well, this, uh, this little kid, she's not supposed to have chocolate before dinner. Uh, and here's Faraday probably being like, I'm going to, res- I need, like, you know, like, why does he leave? Maybe because he thinks, like, if I leave and I never tell her uh, mm-hmm. that, like, she's, she can never come back here and she's going to die, that I'm, oh. like, bucking fate. Uh, so, do you
0: think that's what like I won't tell? I can't tell. Is yeah. referencing that like he's already coming up with that plan in his head?
3: Yeah, he can't, so he's gonna leave. Uh, and if he leaves, he's not gonna come back. So then it can't happen. But then he does come back, and he does see her, and he can't help but tell her because whatever <laughs> happened happened.
0: Yeah, so uh, this is also, like, the rare pop of color as well in Dharma. That's the thing about these, like, canvas jumpsuits, the literal Dharma material. Though I do like, as as much of a bad leader as Horace is, I do like the effect of the tie-dye shirt being worn under the Dharma thing. It's one of those things, right, of, like, hey, we have a mandated uniform at yeah. work, but let me add some, like, pieces of flair to, sh- to make it my own. Pieces of
3: flair, incredible. Um, all right, so the Horace and Sarah are going to come out, and they're going to get the the news that they need to leave on the sub.
0: Right, and so, uh, as, you know, they're about to, I guess, keep him up for the night, an alarm blares, and everyone goes running. I mean, literally everyone. I would not be surprised if they thrust the gun into the hand of, like, four-year-old Charlotte at this point. It seems like everyone is loaded to the teeth. Yeah, Uh, Everyone gets shepherded into this woman Heather's house uh, because they see that there is indeed an intruder It is Richard Alpert. He walks in like he owns his place, sticks his torch in the ground, and then steps into the light. I love the symbology of this, the, like, the uh the very primal symbolism and the mysticism as well of like the the torch and the hostiles right that are living off the land versus even for the time the modernity and the technology of dharma yeah. right it's almost like john Locke's you're pharisees you're you have all these things you have chicken in the fridge comment from the man from tallahassee being brought to life here of like here richard comes out of the jungle, carrying all this jungle paraphernalia into very modern settings, almost to evoke this image, and we'll get into it with the truce of, like, you don't belong here right now.
3: Yeah. uh, It's it's really cool. And especially, of course, like, the constant of Richard Alpert's age that's just Nestor Carbonell showing up doesn't look a day over I don't know <laughs> perpetually 45 or whatever you know like yeah he is he is that guy um and when he when he arrives here in that mode like it's 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 somehow both unsettling and stabilizing right it's like oh yeah this is lost this is the show like there's that guy who is across time
0: But this is a very different Richard Alpert, again, from my read. Like, I think the way Nester Carbonell plays him is much more hard-edged. We'll get into this again with the truce. I think there's a reason behind that. But this is not the, you know, the Richard Alpert who has been this consigliere, you know, as part of helping bring Juliet to the island. Even the way that he's filmed, right, like, the opening shot, because we cut to commercial here, right, with uh uh-oh, we come back. It's almost something out of a horror movie, where things are eerily quiet, and then it cuts to, like, this wide shot of Richard Alpert just standing out there, like he's Jason, or Freddy. You know, one, two Alperts coming for you. Right. Uh, And I think that's also to represent, like, the threat of the hostiles, and what they represent to these people, that it is sort of, like, the monster that exists out there, even if there is an actual other monster that exists out there.
3: Yeah, yeah. Um, Sawyer's gonna see him be like, I got this.
0: Yeah, so basically Richard's going to meet up with Horace. Uh, it's, it's part of the truth that like, these are the two they talk. representatives. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, they even refer to each other as Mr. Alpert, Mr. Goodspeed, but Richard's just like, again, super aggressive, kind of scary as well. From my perspective of just like, I'm here for a reason. He says he was able, he has his ways to get past the fence, sort of like implying you can't keep us that out. Keep no some what. out,
3: but you think that keeps me out? No way.
0: Exactly. Uh, so spooked, Horace is going to come in and basically say, like, okay, let's uh, fire up the arrow because that thing's still going at this point. It hasn't become, like, a decrepit, taily central. rack condition one. But like you said, Sawyer says, like, hold on here. I know this guy's eyeliner from anywhere. Let me walk out there. I'm not even asking your permission. I'm the one who did it. I'm going to smooth things over. Even though, again, uh, what should be remembered here is that Sawyer is flying by the seat of his pants this entire time. Yeah. Every time Juliet comes to him, she's like, you have no idea what you're doing, right? And he's like, hell no. But that's what makes this even more of an impressive thing, I would say, for Sawyer than, like, the premeditated long con that he did in the long con, is that he's just so naturally skilled at this stuff that he can do stuff completely off the cuff and somehow incredibly succeed.
3: Yeah. Oh, my God. It's so great, though. Uh, He just, like, springs into action and just does what he does best. Uh, He just talks.
0: So listen, uh, that being said, let's listen to him talk to Richard Alpert in sound number six.
1: Hello, Richard. I'm sorry, do we know each other? I'm the guy who killed your men. Heard some gunshots, saw two men throwing a bag over a woman's head. Gave him a chance to throw the weapons down and walk away. One of them took a shot at me. And I defended myself That's so That's so Your people know that you're telling me this Ain't my people boss. So if you got some kind of a truce with them It ain't been broken If you're not a member of the Dharma Initiative Then what are you? Did you bury the bomb? Excuse me? the hydrogen bomb with Jughead written on the side did you bury it? yeah I know about it I also know 20 years ago some bald fella limped into your camp and fed you some mumble jumble about being your leader and then poof he went and disappeared right in front of you he was ringing a bell that man's name is John Locke I'm waiting for him to come back so you still think I'm a member of the damn Dharma Initiative? No. Guess I don't. But no matter who you are, two of my men are dead. And my people need some kind of justice. What are we going to do about
0: that? Look at Sawyer pulling a John Locke here. Yeah, he does a better job, though. (laughs) I think yeah, well, Sawyer isn't like, a, you go visit me when I'm being born, you know? He's uh, he, And he's not declaring he's, like, some mystical time traveler. Again, he's using advan- information to his advantage, but, right? Uh, to yeah. quote uh, the show that LaFleur came from, uh, information that can be used yes. as a currency. Yeah. And I think Sawyer's cashing in right now of, like, I know about the bomb, I know about John Locke, so this is to show you that, like... I'm more connected to this island than you may know. I'm no damn Dharma Initiative person, so you shouldn't attack that.
3: And this is the other thing, too, is, like, this is, like, the John Locke's life means something uh beat. You know, like, mm-hmm. you know, you can't say that, like, John Locke, uh, you know, wasn't special. John Locke didn't serve a purpose. Because just the idea of John Locke gets evoked here and it buys Sawyer and his companions uh, their way out of getting uh, killed uh, or you know causing more violence here between uh, the DI and the hostels and, and Richard's people. Um, and in so doing like you know like uh, with with the name John Locke being evoked once again, um, it's once again going to pique Richard Albert's curiosity. It's gonna happen again uh, three years from this point when he asks Jack about uh, Locke, and Jack is going to say, don't give up on him yet. Um, so it's it's th- it's continuing that story. Um, you know, yeah. the box man uh, may be gone, but there are many ways in which he is very much still here coursing through the veins of the
0: story. I'm trying to remember, Brendan Fitzpatrick actually thought of this in our Discord. I forget how it lines up timeline-wise. Could there be a universe where... Sawyer talking about Locke here... Spurs Richard to make one of those visits to Locke that we see in Cabin Fever, either him in the group home or him in high school. Um, Again, I don't know how it times out from like a year perspective. Not in the group
3: home. In the group home, that's got to be the fifties because he's you know he's a kid. Maybe the sixties, but um, it could time out with. uh, I think one of two things triggers uh, Richard visiting uh, Locke in high school. It's this is possible that like that lines up timeline wise that like in the mid seventies John is uh, of. the age uh to you know like 74 he's like the right age for like the the middle of science camp or whatever Mm -hmm. um or it's when richard talks to jack in 1977 he says don't give up on john locke yet um one of those two things is definitely timed perfectly with uh with the the offer for locke to go to this science camp
0: No offense to Sawyer, I think it's much more meaningful if it comes from Jack. Yeah, I agree. Uh, So I'd go to that one. Let's let's talk about the truce here. I've been hyping this up. Yeah, let's do it. so this is from the Dharma Orientation uh, kit that came sort of like as an alternate version of the Season 5 DVD. It came with a whole bunch of stuff, including, you know, some patches that you can wear. And, much like we talked about with the uh, the Black Rock Journal that's in, like, the complete series DVD package, there is a complete version of the truce between the Hostiles and the DI. Basically, it is, like, the DI's draft of, you know, the the contract— with Richard Alpert making comments in it. I scanned it a bit, and I I pulled some interesting excerpts here, because I think we needed some context as to, like, what is the status of the hostiles, and the DI in this moment. There seems to be some sort of cold war going on, but, like, people are still killing each other. So, first, uh, I'll read this one section that uh, Horace Goodspeed, I'm assuming, who writes it on behalf of the Dharma Initiative, writes that one of the things as part of the truce is, "...urge all authorities and leaders concerned to take every possible precaution for the protection of the island, Mm -hmm. including all shrines and sanctuaries used for whatever purposes by those who have established a right to visit them." I think that is important, and there's going to be, like, an addendum added by Richard Alpert basically saying, like, if the Dharma Initiative digs or drills any more of 10 meters into the ground, even in their designated territory, the truce is violated. Sorry, Saul. This might be on you.
3: Mm. What do you mean? This isn't my fault. I'm doing my job perfectly well. How dare you insinuate that I've got anything to do with this violence?
0: I mean, listen, man, again, there's blood on your hands and dirt as well in this case, because we do know, and I'm assuming the hostiles do know as well, right, that there's like construction on the swan. We, in the very first scene of Season 5, we saw construction on the orchid happening. It's very clear that the DI is breaking this side of the truce by extensively drilling, much to Saul's joyousness, into the earth, which is violating this idea of, like, do not desecrate our land, do not affect the shrines and sanctuaries we have set up.
3: Yeah. Um, interesting. Very interesting. Yeah.
0: There's also a call upon all authorities and leaders concerned to respect the established boundaries of the Dharma Initiative and the indigenous inhabitants' camps and the zone of five kilometers surrounding each camp, and to not infiltrate or attack these areas during the ceasefire. Uh, obviously, we saw that was broken. I do wonder if it's also been hinted at that, like— I'm assuming much more on the hostile side than the DI side that, like, they broke this rule, right? Richard Alpert just walks into the middle of their camp, so it's clear that he's breaking the boundary side. Another really interesting thing that I found, uh, instruct the mediators to make periodic reports to each party as mutually decided upon during the ceasefire. Richard Alpert writes in response, Our willingness to allow your presence should not be mistaken as continued opportunities for diplomacy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So basically being like, hey, we're letting you live here. Do not, you know, mistake this for some sort of friendship growing.
3: Right. Like we're not building an arrangement. You know, like we're not uh, building like a like an evolution of a, a, a beyond this arrangement. This is like yeah, you don't die. We don't want to be responsible for like murdering everybody.
0: Uh Yeah. This is not a, this is not a cohabitation essentially. Yeah. You're like subletting it from us to that point. Richard Alpert's one of his addendum basically says, the Dharma Initiative pledges its term of residency will last no longer than 15 years, and that it also cannot exceed 216 members in any one time on the island. I don't remember if they break the second rule. Uh, They definitely break the first rule, Josh. Yes,
3: they do. Big time. Um,
0: Yeah, Alpert's
3: notes are really intense.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, again, I think this is speaking towards the role he's playing right now. I'm not sure if this is like... Just a hard-lined approach because some shit has happened. Yeah. I don't know if it's just his own personal approach, and he warms up later on. But again, it's it's very different from the Richard Alpert we experienced in the past. It is a scarier Richard Alpert, yeah. Uh, and and so I think him being so aggressive, and I think now if you're wondering, like, okay, why is Richard so aggro towards the Dharma Initiative, is because I think from his perspective, if you refer back to this document, they have broken this agreement a couple of times. Yeah.
3: Uh- the The note of like we're not the ones with uniforms is so like dangerous and like please define quote unquote war materials uh just like the things that like he wants to specify uh and just like the efficiency of language that Albert uses to just like totally deconstruct the truths uh is is really 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 powerful and awesome uh it's just it tells you so much about the character it's just like it, 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 and more than that like I think like. This, like, little piece of ancillary content, I think, just, like, does a lot to sort of, like, underscore the danger at the heart of the island.
0: Absolutely. Considering that he is, at this moment, the person we know who is closest to the island besides the people themselves. I would be intrigued. We've put out weirder calls before. If there is, like, an expert on contract law, I would love—it's on Lostpedia— Check out the truce and see, can you provide opinions as to, like, who makes it out better here in the deal? Yeah, You know, like, was this, did the DI, uh, like, miss out on things?
3: We don't see the full extent of his counter uh, proposals, right?
0: Yes, though, again, if this was Horace Goodspeed, you would imagine he pretty much accepts these at face value, right? Like, I don't know how much arguing back and forth there is. Yeah,
3: I don't know that we need a contract lawyer, because I think, like, Horace probably is just going to end up capitulating to whatever Richard proposes.
0: Right, exactly. He's like, listen, you're just giving us a place to do our work? Sure, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah we won't go five feet, five kilometers outside our area whatsoever. You <coughs> don't hear that drilling noise. That's nothing. That's a bird. That's the Hurley bird.
3: It's the Hurley bird. Um, Alright, so uh, Sawyer has made his move, and it works.
0: Right. Well, it works in the moment. There's there's still one more thing that needs to happen. So they go to, it seems like an infirmary, I'm assuming, right, where uh, we see Amy is sort of, like, lying over Paul's dead body. Paul is dead. Paul is dead. We don't need to play that backwards. Uh, but Sawyer basically tells Amy and Horace, "Like I basically got Richard to go away and not, you know, bombard the place." But they're going to have to take Paul's body here. I always wondered about this, Josh, especially with the revelation of like what the temple is. Do you think there was any sort of like hanky panky? We're going to do stuff with Paul's body, or is it more so like <laughs> I hope insult? There was to injury? no hanky
3: panky with Paul's body. <laughs> <laughs> I really hope not
0: Man, the hostiles are
3: really screwed up people Oh my god, Mike
0: <laughs> No but, I mean, listen, they, they, we know that there's like a big pool in a temple, right? Where you can like dip a dead body under and they come back to life
3: Right um, I don't know Because like, it feels like when uh, when they do this with Zaid in season 6 It's like not a nothing deal And when they uh, presumably do something like this with Ben uh, Later in the season off screen Like there's a lot of caveats involved Like he'll never ever be the same and like it's going to be dangerous Uh, and i and you get the sense that like they do it for ben largely because um ben is like pretty important to unraveling the di like they've got their eye on like grooming him as a mole you know,
0: right? Remember this. This would come assumingly after the scene where the monster has sort of like taken the guise right. of Annie and has led Ben out to meet Richard.
3: Right, right. Um. So, at least, well, when Ben is shot, like very much, yes, very much, yes. So, like, I think, um, uh, I, I don't think so. I think like over just Paul. No, I think it might be <laughs> to like What's
0: so important about Paul.
3: You know, Paul is Saul's brother. Uh, you know,
0: our <gasps> uh, parents weren't very creative. Yeah.
3: Uh, forget him. I'm not even that upset about Paul. I thought Paul was uh he, he, was, he was a jerk anyway. Uh, He's always getting himself in trouble, interfering with my. Tr- I, it's not convincing anyway. I'm really yeah.
0: upset. Um, yeah, well, I'm gonna have to call our sister Gall. It's me, <laughs> Saul. Call <laughs>
3: <goal to> <laughs> Terrible name. Oh God, the unmitigated goal. Um <laughs> Yeah, I think it's probably more like let's deprive them of uh, their ability to mourn properly. It's like a demoral. Mm. It's like a demoralizer.
0: Yeah, it's a good tactic to like weaken the opposition. They're horrible. Right, from you that know, everybody
3: here is horrible. Like no one's like a good person in this situation.
0: Well, speaking of that, let's talk about Horace here, right? Because this is also a really weird situation where we know this was Amy's husband. We know that Horace and Amy are eventually going to be married, and we get a little bit of a glimpse into their relationship right here, where like Horace, you know, does the whole like kneeling besides Amy, calling her aims, being like, we've been friends for a while, I don't want to make you do this, but, like, we're all gonna die if you don't give up this body. I, this time around, Josh, was getting not, like, direct Juliet-Sawyer parallels, but, like, a little bit of a vaguely similar trajectory of, like, here were two characters who are friendly with each other, but, like, involved with others in a manner of speaking, uh, not literally, but then, in three years' time, like they end up, you know, being each other's number ones. Now, granted, with Horace and Amy, it is much more vitriolic, it seems, but I thought it was an interesting parallel of, like, you know, when when this person's missing from your life, yeah. and this is gonna be Sawyer and Horace's conversation later, right? Like, when this person's missing, the vacancy you take up with another person. Yeah, I mean,
3: I think that that's obviously the intent of the, uh, of, of the story that's being told here. But I do think, again, just, like, my anti-Horace stuff, whatever, but, like, I feel like the way that this plays, just, like, it feels kind of gnarly. Like, you think about, like, what was the road that was taken to get Horace and amy to become an item after this like i don't know it seems a little especially with like the way that horace reacts on the eve of amy uh you know giving birth like the whole thing just seems like really groody and gross
0: yeah well we're gonna get into that that sort of like item that that spurs on that argument here where amy is gonna agree to give up the body but she is going to reach into uh paul's uniform here and take off a clay onk Necklace. And obviously, if you, if you pay special attention to the statue, this is not the first time we've seen the Ankh in this episode. Uh, in fact, again, going back to that complete collection DVD, I believe that comes with a plastic Ankh, which is an Egyptian hieroglyphic. Uh, it basically means life. I believe Towerette is holding the Ankh. And again, it's going back to this idea of eternal life, uh, which I think is not going to connect with Paul specifically, but we talked about some characters who I think possess eternal life and are certainly linked with this island.
3: Yeah. Uh there's a few. There's a few different characters who've got some of those vibes. Right. We involved. just we just visited one we in, may, in the, may the last not. scene. Yeah. Um They're gonna get two weeks to stick around. Uh that's yeah, what Sawyer that's has a, just bought them. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's their reward essentially for like Uh, helping keep this tenuous ceasefire going where it says all right you get two weeks now sawyer is going to take the joyous news to juliet who is uh seeking out other plans she's looking out on the horizon and not crying for once but we're gonna get this is gonna be a bit of a longer clip because we're gonna get a 1974 sawyer juliet scene and then the 1977 juliet sawyer scene that made all the stands squee let us squee again sound number seven
1: Bought us two weeks. Force said we can wait for the next sub. Any luck. Locke will be back by then. And then what? What do you mean then what? Locke said he was leaving to save us. The flashes have stopped. They're over. No more bloody noses. We're already saved. That sub behind you brought me here. I've been trying to get off of this island for more than three years and now I've got my chance I'm going to leave you do realize it's 1974 whatever it is you think you're going back to don't exist yet it's not a reason not to go Well, what about me you're really going to leave me here with the mad scientist and Mr. I speak to dead people and Jen who's a hell of a nice guy but not exactly the greatest conversationalist he will be fine maybe i going to get my back <laughs> come on just give me two weeks It's all I'm asking. Sounds good.
0: Other. And they keep saying, mmm, and yeah. I'm assuming it's them kissing and yeah, not them eating the pasta.
3: Mmm, mm. Oh, my God, this linguine. Oh, it's delectable. Oh, my will- God, are those ramps? Wow, the island uh. has ramps. Where did you find ramps?
0: Man, this island uh, well- has
3: everything. On the island, it's always ramp season.
0: To be fair, though, I think that uh, if they if they had to go for produce, they had to spring for some. You can just like put in a request on the sub, right? Like it's leaving every two weeks. <laughs>
3: yeah, it's be, gonna be hard to put in the request for ramps. Uh, those are hard to find, hard to come by. Um, this is so cute.
0: Yeah, and I and I love it. It's it's weird though because if you think about it on paper, Juliet wants to leave. She gets convinced to stay a little while longer. And same old song, right? Like, she ends up staying for years and years. It's basically a lot of the flashbacks we've experienced previously for her. But there's something different here. Because it's not like she's forced to stay, now she wants to stay. And that makes a world of difference, the element of choice. And look at it, where she is incredibly miserable in all of her flashback episodes in seasons one through four, and here, I would assume these are the happiest three years of her life. I don't think we've ever seen
3: uh, and never will see Juliet happier than we see her in um, this scene. Uh, i agree uh aside from sideways stuff but she's dead at that point Uh, (laughs) um you know like uh, beyond that like this is the stuff uh and it's so great because like up until now like for both of these characters and why it's so wonderful is like sawyer and sawyer is all about like pushing away anything that feels like it could be nice uh and juliet herself has like um put up these uh these like ice walls in order to like protect herself from (laughs) that
0: speaking of once upon a time you
3: know the hurt of the island and um you know like uh like the ways in which she's had to like uh like guard herself to be like uh, a tough as nails other right and like you know killing danny and stuff like that um and they both just like those guards drop here uh, and mm-hmm. uh, I love the way they both play it. Like, it in, in in ways, like, at the time, I think it felt very weird for some people, but then, like, you think about the full arcs, and I think, for many people, obviously not everybody, we'll get into that, like, it, it really does work. <laughs> uh, and I think um, one of the things that's jarring about it, though, at the time, is, like, they almost feel like completely different human beings.
0: Right, it's very much as, like, an opposite-to-track type of thing of... What they represented, but I think, again, when we've been plotting this out ever since uh, she tased him back in season three, that, like, they are two characters who take very different approaches to life thus far, but, like, they can almost find common ground in a certain perspective, and I do think the, for lack of a better term, trauma they have been through, especially at the beginning of season five has had them find each other. And we've certainly seen cases of that in real life, right? Like, there are many stories of people who came to know each other through various tragedies. And through that, through the heightened emotions behind that, they're able to find comfort in each other. The Sawyer stuff is the really interesting side of things. Maybe it's just because we know Juliet for less. But like you said, like, it is wild to me. And it's interesting. You saw sort of kind of go for this like when he's uh saying something smells good. It reminds me a lot of Eggtown baby when he says, "Oh, coffee smells good" when he's walking by Kate and Claire. And I think that to him though was him trying to set up this fantasy of as Kate told him playing house that gets broken. I think Sawyer realizes in these three years, and I guess it it is sad in that we don't really see this transition happen. It largely happens off camera. But like this idea that he can be happy. He can be that person that like ambles home every day, saying something smells good, and like be that person he was trying to set himself up to be. He just hadn't found that right person yet. Yeah. And it's 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 incredibly beautiful to see. Again, it, it stinks from like his own therapeutic perspective that we largely saw it off camera. But I i love seeing this change. And it also it's gonna make the ending really hit because you really see how much these people have set up a life separate from the Oceanic Six. Yeah. Uh and as much as the Oceanic Six we're talking about like, when we left everything went haywire, we have to go back and save Sawyer and Jin and Locke and everybody it seems like these people spend three years, not only to help accommodate for the fact that that was the same amount of time the Oceanic Six spent off-island, but almost to say, like, here's this diverging point, and in the exact same amount of time, these two groups of people have lived completely separate lives. And to see, like, how they have gone settled and moved on, in a manner of speaking, much like Charlotte's body, what happens when those bodies come back to life in a Dharma van? What happens then?
3: Yeah, and I think, um the uh the scene is so important it's not just great but it's really important that it's great like if it if it's not great a lot uh doesn't work because of your point uh that like this is really this moment Uh, More than anything else we've gotten in the episode, the friendship between Sawyer and Miles uh, suggests the passage of time. Jin being able to speak uh, fluent English certainly uh, suggests the passage of time. But these two characters who have only really started like meaningfully interacting in a big way in this season... Um, A little bit towards the end of last season, being together in this capacity, if this doesn't work, the whole thing falls apart. Um, This relationship existing tells you everything you need to know with three years later.
0: Exactly. It really implies like who these people have become and what they've gotten settled into. Because with
3: the Oceanic Six, they had flash forwards. They had like a full season of story that they could really develop this out. We missed this entire three years. And while it would be phenomenal to see what happened, like, I think like this is the stuff that would be incredible for like a lost comic book series or something like this. It's like to explore the Dharma years. Uh,
0: One, one big old missing piece. It would
3: just be awesome. Like that, that for me is the thing that I would love is like, uh either a graphic novel or like a like a, a limited series or a few limited series that like take place during this time I would love to know more but you don't need to because this scene is so good that this scene accomplishes for the left behinders um what all of season 4 accomplished for the oceanic 6 that's mm. very impressive and difficult to do
0: Yeah, that's a really great point that it's like so evocative of how far these characters have come. And even just down to the color choices, obviously LeFleur is uh, going with his namesake by grabbing a flower to give to Juliet, his sweetie on his way home. But like, I love the use of yellow there in a show that is all about black and white and sometimes red. There is like this bright pop of color in the form of yellow, which typically represents happiness And optimism. This is not a very happy or optimistic show. I think, like, in spite of what the final message of the show is, there's a lot of darkness involved. And to see this, like, bright spot in their lives represented in what Sawyer is holding, it shows that they were able to grow something bright in the dark sediment. Of this island that has provided them with so much heartbreak, especially from Juliet, who remember was basically like a prisoner of this island for the past three years as someone's plaything. For Sawyer to like now be able to walk home to his wife, who willingly stayed on the island because she loves him, holding this flower, it's like we grew this. You know, this is something that we worked on together, that we nurtured. We were able to make the impossible possible. It's not, miracles don't just happen on the island in the form of smoke monsters or polar bears or what have you. Uh, They exist sometimes from a relationship perspective as well. And I think that's where the fun of Juliet and Sawyer comes in as well, is that these are two characters that really don't make any sense and probably off island would not necessarily look each other at any point on the street just because of the, the different lives that they lead. But the situations that they've been thrown into allow them to sort of break down those labels, those roles to play as James Ford says in the first couple episodes of lost and see them for who they are to see James Ford instead of Sawyer, to see Juliet Burke instead of the mole. It allows them to, I think, see eye to eye and find out that that person was right there all along. I, I think it is incredibly beautiful and it just makes me to your point I, I want a radio play is what i want i think that's a good compromise that'd be fine like, yeah. we're not going to get the visual obviously because everyone is much older but i think i think we'd be able to have the characters do like a script reading or a radio play of some sort of missing piece episode of what happens to this crew in the intervening three years
3: um so it's not like this feels like i think in many people's memory this feels like the end of the episode but it's not there's there's two more scenes to to go through
0: Yeah, so let's start here. Obviously, this is a big closer, right? Because it's a big moment. Holy crap, they're together. Uh, But like you said, I think this is a big microcosm of where things stand in 1977 with everyone kind of moving on up to this point. And to show how much things have changed, we're going to get sound number eight here, which is another scene between Horace and Sawyer. But the roles are quite reversed, just showing what a difference three years makes. But Sawyer is going to use this opportunity to Opine on his own idea of what he left behind in
1: 1974. Wake up, Bob.
0: Uh, oh, That's
1: your head. It hurts. I got good news and bad news. which you want first. Oh, good news. You're a daddy. as you missed it. Oh, gosh. Amy, she had the baby. It's a boy. A boy. Oh. Oh. How about you tell me why you're too busy drinking and blowing up trees to see him get born? I was, uh, I was
2: looking for a pair of socks and all of mine were dirty so I went to grab a pair of Amy's and I
1: found this in the back of her drawer. It was Paul's. You got in a fight over a necklace. I know.
2: But it's only been three years, Jim. Just three years that he's been gone. Is that really long enough to get over someone?
1: I had a thing for a girl once. And I had a shot at her. But I didn't take it. For a little while I'd lay in bed every night wondering if it was a mistake. Her and if I'd never stop thinking about her. But now I can barely remember what she looks like. And her faces. She's just gone. And she ain't never coming back. So, it's three years long enough to get over someone. Absolutely.
0: There's a lot to talk about here, but first and foremost, yeah. uh, Horace's choice to take Amy's socks.
3: Interesting. <laughs> that's funny. Um, I mean,
0: I'm going to assume that they've all been provided some sort of, like, Dharma generic work sock. Otherwise, like, I I don't know. I personally uh, do not use Angela's socks if all of mine are dirty just because I, yeah, they're, they're different.
3: Emily always takes mine. I don't know if Angela takes yours. Uh,
0: Angela takes mine, but I do feel like that's because, like, if she wants a thicker sock... She'll pick mine. I'm not necessarily going for her socks, which are more like thinner, Uh, you know, that that feels distinctly different to me and not something I personally go for in the realm of sock.
3: Yeah. Um, So um, I don't need to go deep into the sock strategy here. I mean, we could. Certainly stranger things have happened on down the hand.
0: This is, this is going to be another A15 alarm thing now where people going to be like, no, I take my spouse's socks all the time. You're the weird one.
3: <laughs> uh, like, we could if you wanted to. Like, we for sure could spend a long time here. Uh, love Floor could spend a long time here. <laughs> um, but I think for me, um, the thing that I would love to say in this moment is, once again, I would like to just hype up that nuclear option. Uh, and the reason why is this ending where uh, Sawyer is talking about how um, he can't even see her face and she's never coming back in this moment. You know that she is because we just saw 316 and she's on the island again. You know, yeah. um, so she is coming back. She's back. She's back, baby. Uh if you watch three ones, if you watch LaFleur rather right after this place's death, we don't know uh what's gonna happen with the Oceanic Six yet. We don't know if they're gonna come home uh to the island. Um and then the ending that you get here, like the very next scene, which we could just kind of talk through now, is like uh Sawyer and Juliet they've uh, they've woken up in the morning. Yeah, Sawyer, both, like, Sawyer's the little frisky. spoon, which is a fun choice. I love that Sawyer's little spoon. I think it's so accurate. I think it is deeply accurate that Sawyer is little spoon. This is all he's
0: he this is all he has wanted and never yes! dared ask for yes! in his
3: entire life is to be little spoon.
0: That's what it is is that he has tried to present himself as the big spoon this entire time he's but all spoon. he wanted he's to old, be was the little spoon and his, he found it in his heart. All, all of
3: these machismo men on this show, in in life, <laughs> all of them—they all want to be Little Spoon. You're happier if you just know that that's what you want. Um, being
0: being held is an incredibly mm, satisfying feeling. You want to so, like, be please. Little Spoon. It's great we to be Big Spoon, be Spoon, Spoon too,
3: but also Little Spoon is a delightful uh, role. Uh, so he's Little Spoon, and he um, he's going to go, and then he gets the call, and he goes to the North Valley, and you see. Jack, and Hurley, and the big reveal is Kate, and that's yes, when... S- and then this is where we get mm-hmm. the infamous
0: glasses gif. Sorry right, takes right, when he, he takes glasses off his
3: glasses off. Huge lost gif. Um, this hits a lot harder on the nuclear option when you don't know how the hell these people got here. I think it, yes. it just it plays really, really, really well, and then you go from Lafleur into three one six, and then that becomes the story of like how did these people get back? I think that that order of operations is just so much more logical to me, and also more emotionally effective beyond like, just the 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 brain piece of it. It's like head and heart. I think it makes so much more sense for Lafleur to be the sixth episode of this season rather than the eighth. It still works beautifully. It's a beautiful episode. It's incredible. But I think the ending of this episode benefits from a different placement in the season. And I think that 316 also improves as an episode as a result as well.
0: I completely agree. I think it's honestly, again, if you're if depending on which episode you want to put in there, I think that LaFleur has the stronger ending of the two. I think the revelation of Hurley, Jack and Kate being back, no offense to Jin, but is a much stronger revelation than, oh, Jin is wearing a Dharma uniform. Right. Personally, because there is emotional attachment. Again, no offense to Jin, but he doesn't have that per- much personal attachment. Maybe if Sun was part of that group, that would have been more of a powerhouse Jin, ending.
3: Jin showing up in the in the jumpsuit is uh, more of a shock. Like maybe that plays differently if, like, at that point we don't know that Jin is alive somehow, and like mm, the, interesting. the Jin piece is revealed in Lafleur or something like that. I don't know, but like that just plays as a as a twist rather than as like something emotional whereas Whereas this this version of events plays as both a twist and it's emotional um, now that
0: being said in terms of timing what you get out of that last clip is you do get the irony right so you're sort of replacing that with genuine shock at the end but you what you do get out of this placement at least coming after 316 is you do get like the pit that lies with sawyer genuinely saying in my opinion like i have gone over kate I used to think about her all the time, but I realized, like, see what's in front of you for once. Put on your damn glasses. Don't be afraid to solder two things together, even if you look like Harry Potter got run over by a steamroller, and look at what's around you and take advantage of that. When you know in the back of your head the entire time, Kate's on the island, this is going to mess things up. I do think the part that is probably AIDS the worst as a part of this, and we'll actually get into it with the feedback, I think is the skate of it, I think, is the implication that that ending hints towards, right? Of like, Sawyer's finally happy, but here comes Kate again! What's gonna happen? I feel like, again, uh, I've sort of opined that I'm not a fan of them constantly poking that love triangle slash quadrangle in Seasons 3 and 4, and on paper, this could be seen as an opportunity to do so, like you said, especially focusing on Kate at the end instead of I mean, Sawyer has a connection with all three of these characters. You really could do it about anybody of those three who come back but i think in showing kate it's really and especially at this point like you said since we already know she's coming back it sets up this "Uh uh-oh trouble in paradise what will happen to sawyer now that the person he thought he'd get over is now back in his life
3: yeah Uh, it's good. It's, it's a, it's a good ending. It's not a, it's not a great ending. And I'm still gonna, you know, as we're moving into the rankings, like, I'm still calling La Flora 4.2. Like, this is just, Mm -hmm. it's an exceptional episode of the show. I love it very much. It's very affecting. It's very important. And I think the degree of difficulty behind this, uh, is as high as the degree of difficulty as anything that we've discussed, uh, in season five so far. And maybe harder because it's, you know, the time travel stuff is like, you really gotta like, make it make some sort of at least internal sense but this is also on top of all that like you have to like stick a really tricky emotional landing and i think that they absolutely do i just think that there's a couple of uh, tweaks that that i would make given the wheel but i don't have the wheel and like even in the version that it exists it's still like just a sublime episode of the show that i'm i'm you know very happy to call a perfect episode
0: Completely agree. So I gave it a 4.1. I'm still trying to verbalize why. I think it's just like a gut feeling for me that from my perspective, it doesn't feel like a perfect episode to me. Maybe there's some sort of like je ne sais quoi missing that there's no like incredibly moving powerhouse of a scene for me maybe it's because it's not really an ensemble episode maybe i'm just missing that characteristic of it but like it's a 4.1 it's a near perfect episode of lost uh in my opinion it is incredibly well done as i said before my favorite episode of the season bar none i think it does such a great job of really having to like it has a really difficult handoff to do. It's a relay race where it is handing off this the time travel part of the season into now the Dharma in the 70s part of the season, all the while trying to maintain this big step in this character arc, multiple character arcs, accounting for a three-year gap in time that we do not see, yet still bringing emotional warmth and beauty to it. And I think it absolutely checks... All of those boxes. I'm definitely in your camp that I think this works better before 316. I really like the revelation of, like, how the hell did they get to the island before we get the whole explanation of it? Maybe that's where it ends up being a 4.1 is, like, the placement of the episode overall. But, like, I really can't complain too much. This, I think... mm. I don't know. I guess by default is this like this has to be the best Sawyer episode. Like I don't know if the brig counts as a Sawyer episode. If it right. doesn't, then this is barn none the best Sawyer episode. Yeah, I mean
3: the, the brig is a John Locke episode. Um so yeah, I like he's heavily involved, but it's you know just in, on the technicalities. Um the audience uh, gave it a 4 is where we netted out on that. So that's really really high uh that average uh for the audience is uh, matched only by um, because you left. Um, but with my score, your score, the audience's score, it's a 4.11. It is the king of the mountain of season five thus far.
0: Yeah. And again, we'll, we, as we said in the beginning, we shall see. I think it's just such a well done episode. I do agree that I think those who take umbrage with lost seasons, especially season five, like this is a good example of a pretty plot-heavy episode, but still brings a lot of character into it as well. So if people sort of come in with this incorrect adage of, well, Lost just pivoted to plot, and they don't really focus on the characters anymore, I think Laflore is that rare back half episode, like you said, along with the constant, some might argue Abaterno, that like, Everyone can kinda get around of like, well I don't like season five, but oh damn the floor. Mm -hmm. That's a pretty damn good one. And it is indeed. It's a pretty damn good episode of Lost, Josh. And I am so happy to have like ended this little again transitory middle period of season five so well with such such a strong episode to set us into the 70s um
3: all right let's get into some feedback but before we do let's take a quick moment to thank our sponsors for this episode of down the hatch those are our friends over at geico do you own or rent your home sure you do and i bet it can be hard work you know what's easy bundling policies with geico Geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's or renter's insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing, too, because you already have so much to do around your home. Go to geico.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit geico.com today. That's geico.com. Mike Bloom, we are now going to hear from uh, a great friend of the podcast, and that would be... Oh, my gosh. The great Jesse Camacho has written in. And Jesse Camacho is a huge Sawyer fan. Uh, And by his own admission, a big skate fan. Loves Sawyer Mm -hmm. and Kate. And so, Jesse wrote in with like a Riley-sized essay. Uh, And Jesse said, I feel like this whole essay is going to be a hot take. Uh, so, let ta- so let me so let me talk. Let me start with what I feel we'll all agree on is what he says. It's an elite episode of Lost. I even give it a four point one. It's super well written, beautifully performed, and pushes the story and characters to new and exciting places. So here is what Jesse is going to go on to say. I'm going to read it in full <laughs> from Jesse. My problem with this episode is not actually the episode itself, but the aftermath of it. At first, I liked LaFleur as a study of how far Sawyer had come as a character. The storyline is, in many ways, his graduation from con man to hero, and Josh Holloway acts the hell out of it. But the way this storyline is introduced and how it's ultimately viewed to me is super inconsistent. Sawyer's life with Juliet, his friendship with Miles, and life as James lafleur it's portrayed at first as the perfect lie, a fantasy, a con, just as the Oceanic Six's life is off-island at first. It all seems so perfect, but it's not. It was this knowledge and Darleton talking of the fact that this is all a fantasy in interviews that made the episode play well for me. The sudden appearance of Sawyer and Juliet as a fully formed couple with very little build-up, the partnership of Miles and Sawyer with equally little build-up doesn't feel as cheap when you frame it as something that is not supposed to last. It's just an obstacle, temporary. I am 100 million percent convinced that the original plan for the series was for Jack to die and Sawyer and Kate to escape together as the ultimate endgame couple, but Sawyer and Juliet's surprising popularity changed everything there's a dramatic shift once Season 6 starts. Whatever happened, happened is clearly framed to make us believe Kate originally took Aaron in to fill the void left by Sawyer before she ultimately did come to love him as a mother. When Cassidy calls her out on this, she realizes what Aaron ultimately needs is his real mother, and she needs to find her, and also finally confront the wound left by Sawyer, the one who truly saved her and the rest of the Oceanic Six. Sawyer's relationship with Juliet was meant to help him grow into the man he was always supposed to be, to be with Kate. Kate kept running from Sawyer because that's what Kate does. She tried to make it work with Jack because she loved the idea of him, but ultimately it didn't work out. No matter what Sawyer and Kate did, they always seemed to find their way back to each other. The writers planned Juliet's death before LaFleur was even written so that relationship was never meant to last. Both Josh Holloway and Elizabeth Mitchell expressed that they were not sold on it at first, and only after it was so warmly embraced by the fans were they truly on board. Juliet is also one of my favorite characters, and to be honest, I felt both of them lost their edge when they became a couple. Having said all of that, the endgame does work super well. I'm really happy for the fans of the endgame groups, and I think all the actors are fantastic. Uh, The post-script from Jesse is, P.S. My God, I need a life. I need to stop (laughs) obsessing over 15-year-old fictional love triangles. Something to discuss with my therapist. Um, Jesse, from your lips (laughs) to Jacob's
0: ears. No, we love it. This is what we're here for, is to to gush over the show 15 years later.
3: I think this is well-articulated, Mike.
0: Yeah. I I don't think it's totally unfair. Let me, to just sum up what Jesse Rowe here, like, let me know if I'm misspeaking here, like TLDL. Uh, So basically, Jesse is miffed that Sawyer and Kate do not get together in the end because he felt that the way Sawyer and Juliet was built was almost as, like, a temporary situation, a, a fantasy, if you will, and that these characters kept getting drawn back together and that, actually, their own separate storylines were meant to mature the characters so that they, indeed, grew up enough to find each other once and for all by the end of the series. Effectively, yes. It's Because I don't disagree with certain parts of it, right? We just spoke about how rushed the Sawyer-Juliet coupling feels. And I think Jesse brings up a great point that even Josh Holloway and Elizabeth Mitchell are like, wait, what? Where did this come from? And again, I think that is an unfortunate consequence of us not getting that intervening three-year period. If I may be so candid, and this is a sin for Jesse, I was a skater for the first three seasons of the show, and especially in reviewing this. At this point in time, though, I'm a little tired of skate. I'm all skated out. Honestly, I'm more so team Kate doesn't need to be with anybody. Like, yes. I'm even j- I'm even yes. a little jaded out at this yes. point. Yes. I'm jaded on jade. That now, and we're going to get this even more in whatever happened, happened. That I'm more so just like, Kate, go do your own thing. And so I'm going to, I can absolutely, I actually agree with Jesse's point about how this could be perceived initially as just like a... Well, it's it's almost like in, you know, uh, in the typical Sam and Diane relationship of, like, these two people find different partners, they learn from it, and then they find their way back to each other. The Jim and Pam of it all. I will disagree that I think these two characters should have been led back to each other. I think it's more so a sign of, like, w- you made this point many times in the past, Josh, that these two characters were so important to each other to learn about themselves that it doesn't necessarily mean they were fated to be together. And I will also disagree with the fact that Juliet and Sawyer being together uh made them both lose their edge, yeah, because I feel like that does a disservice to the characters of like, well, I liked you less when you were together. It's just exploring different personality sides of them. Sorry, Jesse, what you're kind of implying is I like these two characters better when they were unhappy, which I kind of disagree with,
3: yeah, but i I think like um I think I think like seeing sort of like the lines of what were being sketched out like i i think that jesse is connecting things that like make a lot of sense to me in terms of like where it seemed like things were going um mm. but i i think that there is you know it it feels like sometimes it's not great to abandon a plan once like the audience has figured out where you're going and then you get scared and shy and so you pivot like that might be westworld well, you know like that's not always the the best reason to do something like that and in fact can lead to disaster but i think something that is um not uh the worst thing in the world to do listen like having like the fans dictate where you go can not, can be like a really bad choice but mm-hmm. i but i think that like hearing the rhythm of stuff and then being inspired by it like it's a fine line it is a tricky line and i do think that in this case This, to me, seems like a case of, like, inspiration was struck rather than, like, uh, pressure was applied. I think it became more of a situation of, like, oh, this is actually a really fascinating um, direction to take these characters when we had this other idea initially. Um, I'm, I'm thrilled with where it ultimately goes for these characters. I think, ultimately, it is the right thing to do. For both, uh, for really all, all four of the characters that are involved in this, um, but I think that it is it is the best argument that I have heard as to why maybe uh, the Juliet and Sawyer thing doesn't work for someone. Um, I think it's articulated. I think it's articulated really well. Um, I ultimately don't fully agree with it, but I think that it's a. I think it's a. I think it's a, a well. A uh, well-crafted argument of like why this is just not something that's landing for for somebody who otherwise really loves Lost.
0: No, I love that argument from Jesse because I think it's also a great reminder of to the point that was made, like how people were kind of feeling at the moment. To the point that you made before, Josh, right? Of like Sawyer and Juliet. Where the hell did this come from? I'll admit, I'm someone who was not necessarily all the way in on Sawyer and Juliet until like years after the fact, and especially not until you saw the full arc of things. I think it's really interesting that, like, like you know, uh, Jesse so wisely said, Juliet's death was already planned out at this point. But I do wonder if at this point they had ideas of what they want to do with Sawyer and Kate, right, in season six. Of Okay, do we do something here? And if they did, at what point was that abandoned? Was that a response to Sawyer and Juliet in the intervening months between seasons five and six? Was it like a, we don't really have anything creative to do with the two of them at this point in time? I'd be very intrigued to know, because again, I I agree with you and I agree with Jesse that it seems like it was set up to happen, like the alley hoop was there, but the ball was not dunked into the skate hoop for whatever reason, and I would be really intrigued to find out why that's the case. Yeah,
3: yeah. For sure. Totally agreed. Um, The Ben behind the curtain uh, chimes in. Says, Sawyer's advice to Horace is both bad advice and not entirely true of Sawyer, right? Amy would definitely not be over the trauma of watching her husband die after three years, and it's entirely understandable that she'd still have his necklace. And Sawyer was surely 100% lying about not remembering Kate's face.
0: Well, look, it wasn't literal, right? He's not face-blind anymore. But I think it's, it's therapeutic for him as well. I think we all have certainly had those times where maybe if it's if it's not about a person, if it's about a thing that we've been obsessing over, and we try to convince ourselves, right, of like, yeah, I don't really think about it anymore. That sometimes isn't true, but I do think there is something, the validity in, like, when you speak it, it almost confirms it for you. And so I do think it's probably more for Sawyer, for Horace, when he says that. But yeah, I, I think also... uh Horace isn't exactly untrue here, as bad of a person as he is. Like, three years is still nothing when it comes to mourning your husband.
3: Yeah, it is not a lot. I mean, time is a nebulous thing. But, um, yeah, I think there's there's a lot of there there. Um, From Brendan Fitzpatrick, Fitz says, If James and the crew had been forced to go on the sub and had left, holy hell, that would have changed everything. What are their lives like if it had happened? Would you want to go back to the mainland, but in the past, knowing there's nothing there that you knew? Um, well, Sawyer is going to say when he and Juliet are being like forced off the island towards the end of the season, he's like, uh, well, he, like he, he's going to do like the Biff Tannen thing. Like, yeah. We'll, get the, we'll bet on sports games and become super filthy rich. Like, it's going to be great. Uh, like, Sawyer has this like plan in his mind. Like, he's had this ready to go.
0: Yeah, I think that—listen, I know that is going to make the argument to Juliet, right, of, like, whatever you want, it's not out there. But, like, they could make a fine living. Now, the question is, do they have to, like, Kevin Johnson it and, you know, live underground because they don't want anyone to to find out their true identities? I'm not sure. Of course, this is all to say, would the island let it happen? Probably not because of everything that has to happen, you know. Invariably, they're going to get drawn back to the island in any way. But I could see the two of them, like— you know buying an apartment in in chicago or something and like living out a quiet life together
3: um this is from connor who brings up something that uh we talked about briefly do you think sawyer had a plan of how to avoid the dharma purge or was he just hoping that jack and everybody else would not only return to the island but specifically to the 70s to tell him what to do uh yeah what was his plan here was he just like he was like gonna try and time it and they were gonna dip out like i think like it makes sense mike that um juliet being embedded with the others probably knew some details about like when and how this happened
0: yeah i think she could be like listen again she was in the she ben thought she was in his pocket so she could he probably told her a billion times when exactly this happened i was wearing this weird wig i was supposed to play years younger than i actually was it was my birthday and so juliet's like great all we have to do is uh, take a little vacay when that day rolls around, and we're gonna be fine. That's all we need. We just need to avoid that, and otherwise we can live, like, a relatively carefree existence.
3: Um, from and Servo, how does Sawyer get himself promoted to head of security so fast?
0: I mean, A, there was a vacancy, but B... I think Sawyer's application came in that conversation with Richard Alpert, does it not, where he can easily saunter in now and is like, uh, hey, just so you know, uh, if your main issue of security is handling the hostiles, me and Richard got an understanding. Look what I was able to do. I think if I was a Dharma person, I think that would put a lot of ammunition in my head to... build this guy into a larger purpose and if we know Dharma people we know they love ammunition
3: yes Um. from Mariah last one uh, I'm wondering if you think there could be any traction for a short time reboot that delves into the Dharma years for Sawyer, Juliet, Miles and Jin I think it's such a shame we don't get that development on the show proper and as great of an episode as the floor is it's something I've always wanted to see but I, I think we talked about this it's like the the leave them wanting more Mike the more I think about your idea of like the radio play it's like you know we have been we have been uh, in in modern times, like the narrative podcast has been a yeah. thing. Get these uh, get these actors on board. Get Lindelof involved. Write some scripts and read them out as uh, as like a limited series of uh, of audio drama. I think that would be spectacular. Do it for charity. Yeah, uh, like i think this would be so fun and it wouldn't like hurt anybody's head like everything would be fine could do it on like the the uh like the the 15 year anniversary of season five or whatever get it done yeah. let's do this this would be March so much 4th, fun.
0: 2024 it's happening now oh my uh, god the 15 year anniversary so I, I think I, I would love it because i think also like you said it involves like a small number of people right you basically just need josh holloway elizabeth mitchell uh ken lang and uh You can bring DDK on. if You could bring uh, Jeremy Davies on if you want to. Maybe you can do an episode where he's like, let me GTFO right now. And then if you want to bring in some others as well, like, you know, Pierre Chang wants to make a guest appearance, get some other people. Maybe not Doug Hutchison. Uh, But you can certainly, I think, do like, again, little missing piece size snippets of life in Dharmavale. Because there certainly is like, to Mariah's point, like there could be an entire series based around it. I don't think we need that much, but I think it's one of the biggest narrative wells that has yet to be plumbed on Lost that could really be rich in material. Because from a character perspective, so much must have happened during that time, considering what we see.
3: Yeah. Um, All right. Let's do the MVPs and LVPs. Uh, You've got two MVPs. I've got three. I've got two LVPs. You've got three In the MVP section, it's just going to be a matter of how do we uh, eke this out between Sawyer and Juliet. I think we netted out at three for Sawyer, two for Juliet. I'm two Sawyers. uh, You're two. uh, I'm I'm two Sawyers (laughs) and one Juliet. I'm
0: two Sawyers. I'm two
3: Sawyers and one Juliet, and you're one Sawyer, one Juliet.
0: Yeah, I think there could be an argument that it should be four to one. But I do think that like Juliet does some pretty she delivers the baby. This, this is
3: not insignificant, by the way. And I do feel like we totally washed over it. She delivers know, a the baby thing, I, on the I, island. This is yeah. this is huge for Juliet.
0: The streak is broken. This is some this is a trauma that she has lived with daily for three years, that she was brought on to do this specific job, and she is haunted by her failures day after day. I know that uh, Christian Shepard muses, is like, oh, you gotta have what it takes and deal with failure on the reg as a doctor, but, like, I feel like what Julia experienced is a, is a different ballpark entirely, and she finally sees a success. I think that also contributes very largely to the reason why she stays on the island yeah. as well. It probably is the most hopeful she's looked at this place the entire time that she's been here.
3: Yeah. Uh, it's humongous. So uh, she definitely deserves more than one point. Um, Sawyer does get them infiltrated into the Dharma Initiative, and that's a Herculean effort that he makes look so easy. Uh, yeah, and
0: uh, and Josh Holloway does a really awesome yes, job in this episode. Yes,
3: but the two of them are clearly going to to bust up the MVPs, just as I think we've got uh, two candidates in the LVP category. I gave both of mine to Horace. I don't like them. <laughs>
0: Yeah, Horace, again, not a great start. Almost the polar opposite of Amy. I'm going to throw one onto Horace as well. But I'm going to throw the other two here onto the hostiles. Uh, first one is because they, like, break their own rules, right, by just, like, seemingly killing Paul for no reason. And the other one, because they had thought themselves, like, get out shot by Sawyer and Juliet. They, like, get taken down so handily. Now, here's a bit of a question that has been thrown about in the PSR Discord. Do the hostiles... Count as the others, Josh. Mm-hmm. They do. I think so as well. I, I think, think they, they're the same. Just, people. You know,
3: they're yeah, different. Just, there's just different because they have a different leader
0: doesn't mean that they should have a different name, even though they're regarded differently. I think this is the same group the of group. people, pretty much. Like there's are they're the others, even if Benjamin Linus isn't with them at this point. I'd still consider them the others.
3: Um. So after this, uh Sawyer and Juliet are now in the top three for the season. Sawyer has five. Juliet has four. Locke still has eight. Locke's not going to be able to hold that lead.
0: No, I think that, especially with the big buff both of these characters got, yes, we're bringing more people into the picture, but considering the leadership positions that these two characters hold in Dharmaville, there's definitely more points on the map for them.
3: Yeah. Um, and Ben is still holding it down as the LVP, but Horace has arrived. Uh, yes, and, and so has
0: and so Phil. Phil is not as prominent Phil as Horace. Phil is like,
3: on the board. He has not scored. He's like on the board in terms of a character on the show. His time will come
0: yeah because he definitely has already set himself up as like a little bit of the annoying stick in a mud that is certainly well i mean we'll see it especially i think in uh because i remember in the incident no he's not the one who shoots saeed that's roger linus but like uh another big lvp candidate but he certainly has his lvp moments coming up
3: yeah for sure all right so next week We shall be getting into Namaste. Uh, Coming your way on July 9th, July 7th for patrons of Post Show Recaps. It comes early. Please consider signing up. Patreon.com slash Post Show Recaps. To that end, uh, people who signed up for the Post Show Recaps patron program in June, who uh, came our way via Down the Hatch and via specifically Forrest Gump. Stay tuned. Very soon you shall have something uh you'll want to keep an eye on your uh, your patron messages uh at some point next week uh that's how soon uh yeah
0: let's we're bringing you a pretty little flower you're getting audio we're giving, we're
3: bringing you a flower and it's it's up to you if you want to share it with anybody else but you'll get a flower it's going to be delightful
0: <laughs> it's going maybe it's gonna it'll be,
3: be deli- weird. It's, it's certainly going to be a thing it's coming your way uh keep an eye on your messages on the inbox mike and i are <laughs> we are want to do pretty excited about something very stupid that we have oh, it's planned so, stupid. For you. It's so stupid it's so stupid but great. it's gonna be very exciting it's gonna be great uh
0: no namaste in general for next week josh i know that you are not a huge fan of the episode i would assume it might be one of your least favorites of season five but, yeah, I'm but that's, to take that's it down. you
3: know not saying much i still really like it I still really like it. I think it's it's a chess pieces mover. And I actually typically like I, I don't mind those episodes at all. I think like anything that like is getting you to like hang out with the characters on the island doing things is fun. Um, I just think relative to the rest of season five. Yeah, I think it's a little slight.
0: Yeah, well, I think it's tough. It's a tough act to follow, right? Say what you want to about these three episodes, but they are three incredibly eventful episodes that set up the end game of season five. I think Namaste is that one that kind of sticks out, right? Of like, okay, now our groups are combined. Yeah, what's happening
3: now? Well, so like you know, like it, it could like I can imagine the argument of like, what's the difference between Namaste and then like he's our you or uh, whatever happened happened or some like it hoth or even dead is dead. Why is this one getting singled out if they're all just like kind of like getting us closer to the end game. I think more happens in those aforementioned episodes, for one thing. But the bigger thing is that it is a more like solidly those are more solidly character focused episodes um like namaste like is like
0: sort of a Quan episode no i mean the the like official loss claims that it is not a centric character episode
3: yeah um
0: i think that i saw that it was
3: like considered a frank centric episode which only slightly makes sense because like you begin with like frank the crash yeah crashing like um, but like, so there's like a little bit of like an untethered quality to to Namaste when like, um, and like, why am I bashing that when like, that was something I was celebrating earlier in the season? I think it's because like, we have shifted a bit. And so it feels right. like... It doesn't like feel like massively regressive. It just like kind of feels like sort of like a bridge. It's just an extender. Where I think that He's Are You is a vital Said episode. I think whatever happened happened is a vital Kate episode. I think Dead is Dead is a vital Ben episode. I think Some Like It Hoth is the vital Miles episode. <laughs> it's
0: literally the only one. You
3: know, so uh I'm like very high on those episodes. I love all of those episodes. They're going to they're going to rate extremely high for me. Uh so Namaste is just it's gonna rate a little bit lower for me, but I still really enjoy it because it's season five of Lost and I love what they're doing right now. Um so get the feedback in. We're gonna want that yeah. by July 5th. Send that in down the hatchet posho recaps.com. And as a reminder, you also want to get your feedback in for he's are you right around that same time. We are going to need uh we're gonna need that from all of you. Early if we are going to get your feedback on for the he's are yeah. you podcast, but it's also make it, totally we got a double
0: feature this holiday weekend. you know you got the long weekend if you have some time between the fireworks, put on two episodes of lost and kickback totally fine if you can't do it, we'll pick up the feedback when we
3: get to the next episode past he's are you whatever happened happened that's fine uh, but just letting you know that's your this this is the deadline. we got to get that feedback in here pretty soon. Mike Bloom. And, and,
0: and, and as a heads up, uh, we're going to be doing this, I think, like one or two more times I think in one season more t- five. Or,
3: one more time in August, we're going to have a yeah, moment But, like but, but
0: we're not going to go full season four here, where it's going to be like a, a huge rush to get feedback in. I know that that was uh, a little troublesome for, summer, for our regulars. You know? but like it's, it's, yeah, it's the summer. We are very grateful that we have the privilege and ability to, uh, you know, explore, unlike people that uh, maybe are confined to the island, as an example. So I know where we're planning to take advantage that i hope you know we're still again we're still coming to your feed every friday and just like with season four if there is some feedback that after listening to the podcast you want to send our way we are more than happy to to catch up with it during our feedback show which isn't coming soon but josh i cannot believe we are at the halfway point of season five right now
3: yeah man (laughs) yeah we're crushing it we're trucking we're cruising to the end game of lost uh it's both exciting and terrifying
0: you know, yeah, I mean, there's a reason why we were uh, maybe looking at some chronologically lost stuff in the Discord, because you know, we're thinking about what comes next. We're just talking. We're just talking here.
3: You know, we're just talking shop, is what's going on right now. Send that and feedback spe- in.
0: Speaking of talking shop, I mentioned this at the beginning, but if you want Josh and I to learn a lot of shop, again, we he and I were on the Wrestling wrap Up this past week with Matt and Mari. It was a lot of fun. We watched an entire week's worth of wrestling, of which we knew little to no context, and basically had everything explained to us we certainly came in with hot takes josh was able to basically like figure out many many storylines without even watching a hint of wrestling it was an incredibly fun time somehow it lasted longer than an episode of down the hatch yeah so if you're into, if for more long-winded josh and mike discussion be sure to check that out
3: it was super 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 fun uh, i was also really psyched to get back with uh, mike and shannon on the Survivor SA recap podcast, being super self-conscious about my ability to talk about Survivor anymore. <laughs> you were great. You were I great. I appreciate that. Thank you. I don't feel like that's the truth, but I had a good time anyway. Uh, so that podcast is is available, uh, both of those on Reality TV ups, where I'm also doing Mole Patrol with Brooklyn Zed and Jess Lease. Uh, really fun, uh, incredible podcast that we do together. If I may say so myself, I think we have a blast (laughs) uh, talking about the season two of The Mole, which is currently on Netflix. Uh, You can either binge it and like that's how you want to roll or you can go week by week the way that we're doing it. Uh, So lots of podcasts there.
0: And I'll also add on top of that, if you're a fan of reality TV, uh, Big Brother season is starting up. And that means Liana, Boris and myself are returning for more stupid shenanigans Forrest Gump style on the R.H.A.P. b and uh, At this point this weekend after this podcast is released, we're going to do a little bit of a preview show about the upcoming Big Brother 23 which premieres on the 7th. And then after that, we're going to come back together every like three to four weeks or so. Uh, but I know I'm very grateful for those of you out there that are a fan of the B&B. And if you're into checking out some reality TV, especially some summer on Big Brother where you're trapped in a house a la the Dharma compound, a big rumpus room, uh, be sure to Check out all the stupid stuff we're doing on the BB this season.
3: Oh my God. So many
0: things happening
3: on the post show recap side, whether it's the Bloom Files, the X Files podcast that Mike and Angela Bloom do, or Everything is Super, where we're talking about Loki, uh, or Worst Day Ever, where we're talking about 24, or in the patron feed. Where by the time you are listening to this, uh, certainly uh, if you're a patron of Post Show Recaps, maybe it's going to take an extra minute or two. But by the time this is in the Down the Hatch feed, you could go to that Post Show Recaps patron feed and listen to uh, two hours of nonsense about the movie Men in Black. Uh, huh. Is a podcast that we just dropped to tie that to the uh, man in I, black.
0: As sweet as sugar plus water.
3: Uh, really, really, really super fun podcast that doesn't always stay on point, but that's kind of the point uh, that is part of uh, Post Show Recaps Watches, which is like a meandering, ridiculous, free-for-all podcast that we do. Uh, we try to do once a month. Uh, we've got that in the podcast feed for you right now. So really fun stuff going on in addition to a bunch of other uh podcasts. Grace Leader, Felipe, and Ariel. They just recorded and released a yes. podcast about Luca, the Disney movie. That's in the patron feed. So if you sign up, there's a lot that is waiting for you imminently right now. Consider it. Patreon.com slash post show recaps. We will be back next week. With Namaste and Mike Bloom, if you do not close this out the proper way, I would be so upset.
0: <laughs> of course, Josh, your wish is my command, boss. Here we go.
1: Full floor. Okay.